This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 41. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I am Sid, and we are entering the third year of our podcast, 2018, and we have a big year planned, because 2018 also happens to mark the 50th anniversary of Weekly Shonen Jump, the world's most popular, greatest manga magazine, and we have a year-long podcast that are going to be devoted to celebrating it. Starting off with January, we're going for a full month retrospective of Kenta Shinohara's manga, including our long overdue Sket Dance review. Yeah, that we we finally actually did that this episode. I mean, what? Wait, I mean, no, we haven't gotten to it yet. We, we will we'll get to it later. We totally didn't record that already. <laughs> and that's not all, because next week or next episode, we'll also be reviewing Astro Lost in Space. So, a full month devoted to Kento Shinohara's manga to start off this year of podcasts about Shonen Jump Strong. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to talk about Astro Lost in Space. I I just finished that, like, a couple days ago. And, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 say, I'll save my thoughts for when we actually get to it. But... For, for now, for this episode, it's all about Sket Dance. I've been excited to to talk about this pretty much for 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 months now. I'm pretty sure I want to say six months. It's probably less than that, but I don't know. I haven't been keeping track. It feels like it's been six months. We initially planned to talk about Sket Dance in July, and we kept having to push it back until January. So it has been six months, but finally we got around. Oh well, I was right on the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fi- yeah, fi- finally, finally we did it. But, you know, but before you guys get to listen to that, we do we do have some news that we need to cover. Um, Sid, what is our first piece of news? Yeah, this week we're front-loaded with a lot of serialization news. And since this is the year of Jump, I'm also going to be uh, prioritizing the Shonen Jump stuff at the top of the show here. So let's start off strong with something really big. And what is bigger than the King of Monsters himself, Godzilla? And you know what's also big? It's getting its first anime film in the franchise that is premiering on Netflix on January 17th. And to coincide with that, a manga adaptation of the movie will launch in the Shonen Jump Plus web magazine and on the website in March, drawn by Yute Kurahashi, whose previous work was called Summer Hero. And the manga story will cover material not in the anime, include original elements, and offer a surprising past for the characters. Very cool stuff. I'm hoping we get this translated when it comes out maybe simul-published on the Shonen Jump free section, and I'm looking forward to the first anime feature featuring Godzilla. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm just more surprised it took this long for Godzilla to get any kind of anime adaptation. That's kind of that's kind of weird to think about. Well, he had an animated adaptation in the 90s, a Western cartoon, which the less is said about, the better. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the first proper anime featuring Godzilla, and that's something to be excited about. But also something to be excited about is Hoshin Angi. The anime is premiering this season, a remake and 
It's going to draw a lot of attention to this very old Shonen Jump series from the late 90s. But what also might draw attention is that Ryu Fujisaki is returning to the series to draw a new short mini-series based on Hoshidengi, which will debut in Spring 2018 in Weekly Young Jump. More information about it will be disclosed at a later date, but for Hoshin Engi fans, it seems that we're going to be getting a little bit of a follow-up, and that is really cool to see. Yeah, and hey, by the time this podcast comes out, I think the anime will have already premiered, so hopefully it's good, because I'm definitely looking forward to watching it as someone who's never read Hoshin Engi, but has always had kind of an interest in the series for the longest time, so I'm really, I'm really excited to check it out. I'm crossing my fingers. I read the first couple volumes of the manga recently and quite enjoyed them. So I'm hoping that it gets a good treatment and adaptation. I'm a little concerned about 23 volumes being adapted in just 23 episodes. But here's hoping that the pacing will iron out fine. (laughs) Uh, one, One volume per episode. It might be doable, but I will say that there isn't a whole lot of filler in that manga, so I'm not sure what they'll have to cut out or trim down, but it'll be interesting to see for sure. But Potion Angie is not the only series that's going to be getting a follow-up this spring, because Hiroyuki Takei will be returning to Shaman King to give it a new arc in Shonen Magazine Edge. This is a Kodansha magazine, as Kodansha now holds the rights to Shaman King, as Takei is now working with them, and they have also announced that they plan to republish it later this year as well. But in conjunction with that, Takei will be drawing a new arc for Shaman King, and this is not a sequel series, this is a new arc featuring the original characters, and that's something... Really, really interesting. What I'm hoping for, personally, is that now that Kodansha has basically the rights to Shaman King and that they're republishing it, that maybe once... Because I think at this point, as far as we know, Viz still has the license for Shaman King over here, but eventually they'll probably have to give those up and maybe we can get a reprint of Shaman King over here with the actual, like... With, with, with the actual ending of Shaman King and not the bullshit ending that I guess it got in its original run and chump. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can get those Kanz and Bond releases over here in the U.S. and get an official English translation of that ending. But believe it or not, those aren't the only series that are going to be getting sequels and follow-ups because Muyo and Roji's Bureau of Supernatural Investigation is getting a sequel this spring, too. This is a sequel that's going to be given to a mid-2000s manga that it has been published over here by Wiz Media, and this new sequel will run on the Shonen Jump Plus website and app in spring, and hopefully we can get this over here in the US too on the Shonen Jump Free section. I look forward to that. Yeah, I can't imagine since Viz has the rights to the series that we wouldn't get some kind of translation of it from them. Um, I still need to get on the original series as I've, I've, I've always seen it around this series is definitely in that category, uh, same category with Hoshin Engi for me personally, where it's like, I've seen this manga around for years and I've just never gotten around to it. 
I'm hoping maybe at some point that'll change because I remember like years and years ago when I read like just mostly scanned comics online um, and I didn't buy a lot of my stuff. Um, I was in middle school or can you blame me? Um, I remember Muyo and Roji being really interesting to me because like I couldn't find any scans of it. And the only way that I would be able to read it would be if I were to buy Viz's editions of it. So it's it's one of those series that's always eluded me. But now, now that I'm an adult and I can actually buy things, like I would like to buy the series at some point and read it because I've heard, I've heard interesting things about it. It seems like something I would enjoy uh, personally, so... You know, I, I wish I, w- I wish I could get on the sequel series, but still need to read the original. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I read the first couple of chapters of the series back when they did a jump back in the digital editions of Weekly Shooting Jump, and I thought it was interesting. So I hope to read more sometime, and I hope that this new sequel gets licensed. But while there's so much to look forward to with so many f- series like coming back with new runs, sadly. Some manga are being cut short. The first of which you're going to be talking about here is Shudan. That has ended in Shonen Jump at the time of this recording. With its fourth and final volume going to be published on March 2nd. And I'm definitely very sad about this. Because I thought this was a series with huge potential. And I really like Takuma Yokota's storytelling and his artwork. But... Unfortunately, it just did not catch on with readers, and that's disappointing, but here's hoping that Yokota will bounce back and strike another hit with his third work. Hey, there you go. Um, so I guess the uh, the the other series that we're going to talk about here is uh, Elda Live, which apparently will be entering its quote-unquote last season on February 5th. Uh, this being a series that uh, also runs in Shonen Jump Plus, uh, which means, uh, I th- are they still offering chapters of this in the free section? They are. Okay, so yeah, that's good. I I still need to actually get around to reading this. Um, but I, I've heard I've heard very like middling things about the series in particular. I don't know. Have you read any? Have you read any of this, Sid? I read the first chapter a long time back, and I admit that the. Use of color did turn me off because it really? felt very odd to read. It felt like the colors were clashing. But I do think it's very interesting and praiseworthy that Akira Amano has a- been able to draw a regular series that is has full color chapters for like five years. That's really impressive. So I do want to like read more of it when I get the chance. Yeah, eventually I feel I feel like I should I feel like I should give it a chance just on those merits alone because it cannot be easy even if this I don't think this is a weekly series I don't remember for sure but but even so like uh d- doing a full color comic for that long can't be easy. Mhm. So, it'll be very interesting to see how Eld Live wraps up. But another series that is going to be ending pretty soon is Real Life. The manga will be ending in March. This was a series that had an anime adaptation back in the summer of 2016. I really enjoyed it back then. And the manga was available on Crunchyroll for quite a long time. But it is no longer available as of this recording because in December they took it off. It's quite a shame... I hope that it will be popped up at some other 
website or maybe someone will publish it for print over here because I really enjoy that series and it'll be interesting to see how it ends. I believe that there is going to be another season of the anime, a like four episode OVA that will also be released in March and apparently that's going to be on Amazon Prime. So, you know, Amazon has discontinued their anime strike service, but hopefully they'll still pick this up and sub it because I want to see how real life ends. And even though a lot of stuff is ending, there is some stuff that's also going to be coming back. And that includes the Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess manga by Akira Hemikawa that will return on Shigakukan's Manga 1 app on February 26th. This series has been on break since October. And initially it was announced that it would return in January, but it seems to be delayed another month. But it will be returning pretty soon for fans that want to see the story continue. Another manga that has been on hiatus that is going to be returning soon is Young Blackjack, which will return to Young Champion on February 13th, the fifth issue of Young Champion. It went on hiatus last March so the creators could prepare for the next arc of the manga and had originally planned to return in summer, but it has been delayed until now. So it took nearly a year for this manga to return, but it is coming back. I watched a little bit of the anime back when that premiered uh, back in 2015, and it didn't really strike me as similar in tone to the original Blackjack manga, so I didn't quite click with it, but I think it was pretty decent overall. I've heard good things about it from people who, like, watched the entirety of it, so very cool that the manga will be returning. I watched the whole thing, and I thought it was okay. That opening was pretty good, though. Another series that's returning, and a series that I really like, is Everyone's Getting Married. This will be returning on February 8th in Shogakukun's Petite Comic Magazine. And it's February issue, of course. This series has been on hiatus since September because of Miyazono giving birth. And she's been on maternity leave, but it will be coming back. And I really like the series. I believe I mentioned it before. I'm actually a little behind on the official releases of it. So I need to catch up on that. But it's a very unique kind of romance series. And I hope to continue it more. And I'm glad it'll be returning. Moving on, we have some new series starting up. And this includes... A Certain Magical Virtual On, a manga adaptation of the Certain Magical Index and Cyber Troopers Virtual On novel. And uh, it's an adaptation of the novel that debuted in Katakawa's Comic Walker site back in December 28. It's going to be drawn by Roji Karegishi. And this manga was originally slated to debut last fall, but I guess it was pushed back until now. But uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm not that familiar with the 
uh, certain magical index franchise. I mean, I know a lot about it through a culture osmosis, but I haven't like sat down and watched it like in its entirety. But this manga is like a collaboration between the certain magical index like novels and Sega's virtual on game franchise. So that's kind of interesting. So we'll be interested in seeing uh, how this manga turns out. In other like novel related news, Konosuba is getting three new spin-off manga. Not one, not two, three. These will be pre-serializations for Konosuba, and they're going to launch in the January 27th issue of Monthly Shonen Ace. These manga are going to include the uh, Fiery Explosions on This Wonderful World manga by Kasumi Morido, which is a spinoff about Megumin. This spinoff like, originally launched in uh, April 2016, but it's getting an extended run, it seems. And there's another manga called... Discussions with the Demon of This Mask, which is about Veneer. Uh, the novel for that came out in April 2016, so now it's getting a manga adaptation by Suzume Somemiya. And then for Shonen Ace, Tamako Buta will be drawing Spotlight on That Fool also, which uh, will be based on a spin-off series by Hirokuma, and this story focuses on dust. So, three new spin-offs focusing on a lot of different characters, and it'll be very interesting to see how they turn out. And, it turns out, we're going to be getting more Revolutionary Girl Utena manga chapters, even past the 40th, uh, no, 20th anniversary last year. In the uh, March 2018 issue of Shogakun's Monthly Flowers, they will uh, publish a new chapter... I mean, that that issue will come out on January 27th, so... Oh, these magazines and their weird uh, dates. But this new chapter will be called the Utsu Kushiki Toge, or translated as Beautiful Torrent, and this chapter will be set after the finale of the main manga, and it'll be about jury, and it'll feature the first uh, appearance in the manga of Shiori. So very interesting, they'll be exploring uh, jury and uh, Shiori's relationship in the manga. Very, very cool. I would definitely love if these spin-off chapters of Utena would get like collected in a book and like translated, because there's been a, quite a few of them. I have to imagine that they could fill up a book and Wiz could translate that, because I would like to read them. Yeah, I was gonna. I feel like this is like the third continuation for Utena we've talked about on the show. I think. I feel like we. we I feel like we've gotten at least uh, some, uh, at least that much. I definitely feel we've talked about Street of Four. And speaking of classic series getting new chapters, Galaxy Express 3.9 is going to get a new chapter this February to uh, commemorate Leiji Matsumoto's 80th birthday on January 25th. It will be included in Matsumoto Leiji Mugen Sosokido, uh, which is a book celebrating his legacy, containing anecdotes from Matsumoto's life and career, drawings from his time drawing Jojinchi, a talk with Tetsuo Chiba of Ashino no Joe fame, 
uh, as well as voice actress Masako Nozawa, Shoko Ikeda, interviews with singer Isao Sasaki and voice actress Yoko Asagami. And the book will come out on February 28th. So cool. I really like Galaxy Express 39. I haven't like watched the entirety of the anime, but I really, really enjoy that story and those characters. So I'm glad it's getting new material. Leiji Matsumoto is another author whose series I really need to tackle at some point. But speaking of authors who are coming back to draw more stuff, I'm looking forward to the return of Nobuyuki Anzai, who is launching a new manga series in Shugakukun's Sunday S. Zokan magazine next spring. This will be Anzai's first work with Shugakukun in seven years. Anzai, for those of you who might not know, is the mangaka behind Flame of Rekka and Mare, both extremely popular series that ran in Weekly Shonen Sunday. And I have dabbled in a little bit of both. And I enjoy his work, and I am interested in seeing what a new manga from him will be about. Yeah, this is my first time hearing that uh, Anzai was responsible for both Rekka and Mare. That's uh, that's really interesting. I did not, I didn't know that until just tonight, actually. Very cool. All right. Well, I guess uh, speak, speaking of authors coming back to do new work, um, it looks like Hiro Mashima posted on his Twitter account recently that uh, he will quote-unquote work hard to launch a new serialization next year. So that pretty much means he's coming back with uh, with some with, with, a, with a new series. So that, that'll be interesting. Um, I'm hoping that it'll be uh, a little more interesting than Fairy Tale, personally. But, uh, you know, like, we, we, we've talked about on the show quite a lot how I mean, I, I'm kind of just indifferent to fairy tale at this point, and I think Sid pretty much feels the same. But I'm, I'm also a fan of Rave Masters, so like, I know Mashima is, he's capable of good storytelling, I know that. And I also, I also really just respect him as an artist because, man, he really, he really churns out a lot of work when he feels like it and when he can. So I still, I still respect his work. I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just hoping that, the story for his next series will be a little more interesting. Definitely. I mean, he is extremely talented as an artist and I am interested in seeing what he will do next. And I'm just hoping the storytelling will be a little stronger than fairy tales was. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so speaking of Mashima, before he starts on his new manga, um, he is, he's going to make a little trip to France. Uh, Mashima is heading to the, Ooh, la, la. He's uh, he's going to be heading to the 45th annual bear with me on this uh Angol Angola May uh International Comics Festival. I probably butchered that so badly. I don't know how to speak French or pronounce it, so I apologize. Um but the the the, the point here is that he's going to have an entire exhibition dedicated to fairy tale. Um he is going to have five rooms dedicated to fairy tale. Uh, also along with more than 100 drawings, 50 manuscripts, um, people who visit the, uh, visit the festival can head to the artist technique room to basically try and draw a fairy tale, uh, probably a bunch of characters, I'm sure, using an in- instructional video. There'll be figures and costumes on display, and Mashima himself will be visiting the exhibition to hand out autographs. So, if you're a fan of fairy tale and you live in France, um, you should probably get on this because this sounds amazing. C'est fantastique. 
Yes, that sounds uh, really cool. I would like to attend this, even though I'm not even the biggest fairy tale fan. It just seems like a really cool exhibition. I'm almost kind of jealous because that sounds like a really neat experience. Oh boy. But uh, I guess that's really about it for our serialization news. And we should head on to some some slight licensing news. We don't, thankfully, we don't have as much licensing news to talk about. Um, really just two licenses, but I guess before we uh, head on to those, uh, I do want to talk about Free Comic Book Day for just a bit because it looks like we're going to be getting some interesting samples from Viz this Free Comic Book Day on May 5th of this year, 2018. Viz will be handing out, um, will be publishing samples for, uh, first off, a Pokemon sample, which looks like we'll be including uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon and Pokemon Horizon. And it looks like they're going to be having a completely separate sampler for uh, My Hero Academia and Ruby, the uh, the Shiro Miwa Ruby manga that was published, uh, I think, a year ago at this point. Yeah, that ran for a few years in Ultra Jump. And then we had it in our English magazine from November of 2016 to February 2017. It only was around for a couple months. It was pretty short-lived, and yeah, I'm surprised that uh, the graphic novel release hasn't come out even sooner than it's coming out, but... I'm sure they'll they'll probably publish a volume release after... I mean, if, if, they're, uh, if they're having a sample for it, then I'm sure they'll probably, uh, they'll probably publish something for it uh, sooner or later. If I recall, I think it will be out by the time Free Comic Day rolls around. So mm, really, okay. We will see. Yeah, uh, it's not a bad choice to put in a manga sampler, considering how popular Ruby is and My Hero Academia. Of course, we, as we have uh, discussed repeatedly, is incredibly popular. So that's a good pairing there. I'm very interested in uh, Pokemon Horizon. I completely forgot that Viz had licensed this because. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I've read, uh, you know, Pokemon Avengers, but I haven't dabbled in too many of the other Pokemon manga outside of that in quite a few years. So I'm definitely interested in seeing, like, both of these takes on Sun and Moon and how they differ. So yeah, look forward to those free samples on uh, Free Comic Book Day. I'm, I, I, I might, I might pick up a sample from My Hero Academia. That, that sounds kind of neat. Um, not as much of a must pick up for me as, like, the JoJo sampler was that that was something I really felt like I should collect an archive. I think I still have that somewhere. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if I lost it in the move like it did all of my Yu Yu Hakusho. I'm still kind of salty about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, enough about that. So let's move on to some actual licensing news. So uh, Kodansha is going to be releasing a new series. Uh, we'll be releasing the first volume or, you know, actually, as I'm reading this, um, it looks like they released the first volume of this already on December 26th. So by the time you're listening to this, it's already been out for like a couple of weeks, so you can already read it. But uh, it seems they have released the first volume of a series from Nan Tamashima called My Boyfriend in Orange. And uh, kind of skimming through the synopsis here, looks like it's basically a shoujo manga uh, about a couple and... Uh, it looks like uh, the main character's boyfriend is a fireman. That sounds like it could be kind of interesting. That sounds like it could be kind of cute. Um, so, yeah, pretty much, like I said, uh, if, you, uh, if, if you're interested in reading this, it's already available digitally. So go ahead and pick that up. And then, uh, let's see, we also have a new license from J Novel Club. 
uh, for those of you who use that service and read a lot of uh, light novels, or at least more than me and Sid do. Um, so it looks like J Novel Club has announced recently that it has licensed Ari Fureta Zero from Ryo Shirakome, uh, which apparently is a prequel spin-off novel to Ari Fureta from Commonplace to World Strongest. And uh, let's see, it looks like this title in particular is J Novel Club's first simultaneous publication as the, it looks like the first part of the first volume is now available for free uh, from the company's website to coincide with the Japanese release. And it uh, looks like J Novel Club will be adding more chapters weekly for the next two months. And the first volumes of full ebook edition will launch in early April of 2018. We've been hearing about Ari Furetta a lot, I feel. We've talked about the novel before, and it definitely seems interesting. I should maybe check it out at some point. But that about does it for our licensing news, so let's just wrap up with some miscellaneous news, talking about some new anime adaptations. And I'll start off with the lighter one first, in that... The Fate franchise is getting a new net anime based off a spin-off manga called Today's Menu for Emiya Family. The uh, first episode of this anime aired in Japan during the Fate Project Omisoka TV special uh, a few weeks ago, but it'll officially start streaming on Abama TV in February with new episodes premiering the first of every month at 9 p.m. Japan Standard Time, which would be about 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, the first episode will debut online on January 25th at 9 p.m. And while, of course, this show hasn't officially premiered yet, I have seen the opening go around Twitter, and it is super adorable. It's just about the Emiya uh, family just preparing dinner for each other, and you have, like, all the characters go shopping and then, like, cooking, and it's really, it's really, uh, you know, I like the fake characters a lot, so just seeing them, like, in a situ- slice-of-life situation like this is actually kind of appealing and amusing to me. Yeah. Like, just to have, because, you know, as dark as the fake series gets, you know, you, ha- you counter it with, like, this lighthearted show about Shiro cooking. <laughs> Dinner yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, so I'm actually really looking forward to that. Like, I like Type Moon at the best when it's at its silliest. Like, my favorite thing fate related is Carnival Phantasm, the gag anime series. So I, I think this is definitely up my alley. But we're going to close off our news portion by talking about some really big anime-related news, an anime adaptation for a manga that I thought was never going to get an anime, and that is Hinomaru Zumo. It was announced very recently that an anime adaptation of Hinomaru Zumo was greenlit, and apparently they're going to be adapting the entire manga, and I'm just really excited for this, because I was reading Hinamaru Sumo back when, like, it was first getting scanlated, and I followed it for quite a long time. It is an excellent sports manga with some great art and action scenes and compelling characters. And, of course, because it's about sumo wrestling, you know, it's getting overlooked. Not a lot of people are, like, interested in it. But hopefully, with this anime adaptation, it can spark some interest in it. I'm hoping it gets to the good studio and it's getting a great treatment because that could really help it out. And I definitely want the series to have more exposure and, you know, 
an a-, a successful anime could really help the manga get licensed over here. So I'm really excited for this. Yeah, again, another series I've seen around for years and it's just kind of existed. But I've always been interested in checking out because, like, obviously it still it still currently runs and jump, and like I don't ever see anyone talk about this. And I feel I feel like. I feel like we, I don't know, I just, I just have this feeling that we have this gem on our hands that, like, just, just nobody's really bothered to check out. Again, like Sid said, it's about sumo wrestling, and unfortunately, it seems like not a lot of people, at least, at least over here in the West, I don't know about, I'm sure, I'm sure, obviously, Japan loves their sumo wrestling, but, you know, it's not really a sport that's, uh, that a lot of people over here have interest in, so, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't wait to see this, I, I kind of want to read it at some point, but ch- ch- chances are I'm probably going to start fresh with the anime. I- either way, I am going to be checking this out soon. Yes, it's definitely an underrated gem, and I'm looking forward to this anime. Crossing my fingers that we get like a really great treatment for it, like the IQ anime, and that just really sparks interest. Oh, that would that would be amazing. But with that, we've come to the end of our news, the first news roundup of 2018. There was a lot of interesting stuff this go-around. Most of it was serialization news, but all of it pointing to a promising sign that 2018 will be a great year for manga. A lot of reboots. Mm-hmm, a lot of reboots, like a lot of stuff returning, but it makes sense because a lot of the stuff that's returning is related to Shonen Jump and in honor of its 50th anniversary. And that's really cool to see. And related to that, why don't we start off our podcast strong in 2018 by talking about a series that we have been meaning to talk about for a long time and giving it an incredibly exhaustive review. Let's talk about Sket Dance. And so the day has finally come. After so many delays and after months and months of trying to get ready for this discussion, we are finally going to talk about one of my favorite comics of all time, Kenta Shinohara's Sket Dance. Sid, are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I really... Uh, do you want to know what my thoughts on this comic were, Colton? Uh yeah, sh- Sid, I would I would love to hear what your thoughts were. What 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 did you think of Skeff Dance? My favorite series of all time. I loved it. See what oh. I did there? Oh. Remember back Oof. in uh, the previous time we discussed it, I said I hate it, but it was like a fake out. Well, this time I I just said honestly I liked it. So oh man! Go. Oh Sid, that was so There's funny. The callback. Oh man, Sid, man, g- good thing you loved it. Otherwise, I would have had to kill you, Sid. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I am so excited to talk about Sket Dance today. Like I, I've, I've, I've said it multiple times. I'm going to say it again. It is 
Definitely one of my favorite manga of all time. Um, I, I constantly go on about my favorite series on here. Um, and as far as where I would have to rank this personally, um, it would probably be like number four for me. Number three being Nero, number two being Ice Shield, and then number one being One Piece. So it's definitely in my top five. It just, Skip Dance just means that much to me. And thankfully, we're going to have about two hours to talk about why. So, so Sid, um, I know what Skat Dance is about, but for, for, but for, for, for our audience, um, why don't you tell us what Skat Dance is about? Skat Dance is about a team of three high schoolers who formed this group called the Skat Dance, which is dedicated to helping students around the school with whatever problems they have. So they're sort of like the Yorizua, except, you know, they help students and the problems are usually more related to like what, you know, kids would deal with, even though they do deal with some really wacky problems a lot of the time as well. Uh, SCAT stands for support, kindness. What does the E stand for again? Encouragement, I think. Encouragement and T is troubleshoot. So, yeah, so... it's an acronym for those things. They explain, like, where it also came from later on, but I forget, like, the full context of that explanation. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of Japanese wordplay word that, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't really fully understand because I don't speak enough of the language to fully comprehend that kind of thing, because the Japanese really like their puns. Yeah, so the Main Street characters include the leader... Basun, as he's nicknamed, also known as Yusuke Fujimaki, and he is kind of like a wimpy guy, but when it counts, like, he will always stand up for his friends, and he's a huge pillar of support and encouragement to everyone around him, and he has a special power where he, when he can put on his goggles, he can concentrate really hard and figure out any problem. So that's his main character power, and they make a joke about how lame it is in the first chapter. But but wait, Sid, he also has a slingshot, because no other character in the history of Jump has ever had a slingshot before. Yeah, he has a slingshot, and he's pretty good with it. He has good aim. He and Usopp would be a good pair uh, as uh, snipers to have on your party, I think. If you were, like, in a in a dungeon or something, I don't Man- know. Man, man, Shueisha's really missing out on that Skat Dance crossover with One Piece money. I mean, come on, guys. Think of the I know, they should have done it back when it was running. Alongside uh, Basun are, is Himeko, real, uh, real name Onizuka Hime, which is still pretty much a pretty punny name, but uh, she is the only female member of the Sket Dan, and she's the strongest member. Uh, she flings around a hockey stick. I forget what the original one was called, but then the second one was called Flagrance, I think. Um, so, I think the first one was called the Cyclone? Yes, the Cyclone. So the first one she had was Cyclone, and then she got Flagrance later on. Uh, so she is probably the dumbest member like she's not the smartest at the beginning but she like eventually works real hard in school later on uh and she likes Basun, but she doesn't like really come to realize it and then like admit it until like midway into the manga a little before then you know but uh she has a lot going on and then there's also switch who is 
probably the most interesting character in the entire manga and the best uh because he's a so he at first he's like a kind of a, you think he's just kind of like a gimmick type character because he is a stoic very silent guy who only talks through his computer he doesn't speak at all like himself he talks through his computer which he types out everything he says and it has like a automated voice like repeat everything he's typing and then he's this real he's the smartest member of the sket dan uh he's like a real genius he's a super otaku as well and he's also the straight man most of the, a lot of the time well it actually all the sket dan kind of switch around being straight man depending on the situation so sometimes he can be the weirdest character and then sometimes he can be the like the most sensible and like stressed out character at all the weirdness. But uh what is really interesting about all three of these characters is that the reason they are who they are and like er- everything about them is informed by their backstories which are really uh complex and deeply moving emotionally and switches is possibly like the most tragic and his arc is the most like emotionally fulfilling like as it develops throughout the story to the point where the climax of the manga does hinge a lot upon his development it hinges upon all three of their development but like the big payoff comes in through like his character development throughout the entire manga and like finally being able to like spoiler speak again oh yeah i could i could go on about how much yeah i what i'm afraid of about this discussion is it's just gonna like it's gonna be two hours just me going Guys, this 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 thing is really good. I can't explain why, but oh my god, this thing is so good. But man, you guys just don't understand. It's so good, <laughs> and it's just gonna be just me on loop for two and a half hours, just going. Uh, but I'll I'll try to do my best to actually, you know, be a little more nuanced than that. But uh, but to your point about Switch, um, I personally feel like he's mostly in that role of like he he's 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 the weird character that. That, that everybody, uh, you know, comments on how weird he is. He, he kind of plays mostly that role, but he does, he does every once in a while play the straight man, just not, not as often as the other two, though. He's the weirdest, but he's also the most self-aware. So when there are situations that are so crazy that even he will not participate in them, like he becomes like straight man in that situation. But again, it's like a rotating cycle. Like no one is like the designated, like Sukomi. In this series, like everyone like switches around in that role. So like where, where in Gintama, like Shinpachi is like the designated straight man. Like in Sket Dance, it's really going to depend on the situation because everyone can get into their own brand of craziness. And then another character will be like, what is going on? What is this weirdness? I would personally say it's mostly Himiko. Yeah, and they do joke about that during the crossover with Gintama. They say that uh, Himiko and Shipachi have that kind of role. But even, like, Himiko, I feel, there are times where, like, she's acting bizarre and either Switch or Basun are like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, hey, stop, stop stepping on my toes. (laughs) Yeah, so there's not, like, a time in Gintama, or at least it's not very regular, where, like, Shimpachi's gonna do something crazy and then Gintoki and Kaka are gonna be like, that yeah that's that's mostly pretty rare i would say aside aside from his idol shenanigans it's mostly pretty rare yeah 
But also to Switch's point, um, one of my favorite jokes in the series is where uh, is is the chapter where uh, what is it where the uh, self insert for Kanta Shinahara comes by to stop by the club to uh, to get more research about uh, uh, about a manga he's creating, and uh, he comments on how um, on how interesting Switch is, and I think at some point they they joke about how like Switch is so interesting that he should be the main character and not Basun. <laughs> I mean, they also say that about Himiko, but like that's kind of the joke as well. Wow, what are what are, what are these two characters doing here? Like, either of them could be the main character. Why is Basun the main character? He's actually really lame. Well, the reason Basun is the main character, and why I think it was great that he was the main character, is that Basun has the most heart and embodies what Sket Dance represents most out of anyone, and like he's the one who like picks up Himeko and Switch out of bad places in their life and helps them to move forward throughout the course of the series. So I feel that Basun earns that main character status for, like, the relationship he has with the people around him. Like, people gravitate towards him and their lives are improved thanks to, like, him being there as a pillar of support. It's kind of like how... Uh, that uh, how that similar kind of thing can be said for main characters in other jump manga. Like, you could say that for Kintoki and Gintama a little bit. I mean, people, I don't know if he really, like, help, actively helps people. Uh, I mean, he does. It's not, he's not always altruistic about it, though. But you can say that about Gintoki. You can say that about, like, Luffy in One Piece, Goku in Dragon Ball. So I think... That's why Basun is, like, effective as a main character, is that he brings out the best in the people around him, and he draws people together. So, what's great about that with Switch is that, like, he is allowed to be a supporting role, and so he's allowed to be a different kinds of... Uh, he's allowed to do different kinds of roles depending on the story they're telling, but they also, like, fo- emphasize how Switch is developing when it gets serious through, like, how Basun is, like, reacting to it. Because in the beginning of the manga, we are dropped in, like, the Sket Dance has already been a thing for a while. And over the course of the manga, we learn more about the backstory of each individual character and then eventually how they all came together to form Sket Dance. So there's a lot of mysteries throughout the entire story of, like, how they all met and then how they got from point A to point B. And Switch, in particular, there's a huge question towards that because in his first backstory arc... Like, we see what made him become Switch, but then we don't see, like, how he joined the Sket Dance. And it takes, like, four years of serialization worth of chapters before we get to that point. So, there's a lot of development in between that first backstory arc for Switch and that second one, in which we see, like, how he behaves in present day and then what his issues are and in working through that. And then by the time we get to that second backstory arc, like it, everything like clicks into like, okay, this is why Basun and Himiko are so important to switch, but Basun in particular, like what he, they did to get him out of that bad place in his life. Yeah. I, I mean, at least up until then, like, you know, there is some good, like, foreshadowing. So sort 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 of hinting towards the basically the latter half of Switch's backstory. Uh the 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 one scene that kind of comes to mind or I guess the one uh kind of arc that comes to mind in particular is the Christmas card arc. Yeah. Uh, where 
I, I forget her name, but uh, somebody comes up to the Sket Dan to basically try to convince them to help uh, their friend come out of their home because they're basically a shut-in. And that obviously really uh, resonates deeply within Switch, and he's the one to beg Basun to basically you know help them out because obviously he's been in that situation before and he you know he understands where this person is coming from and that uh, that that particular moment and uh that moment in particular always makes me tear up because it's like i i understand the context of that now in retrospect yeah that was a good storyline i yeah there's a lot of great switch moments like that kind of explore like what his problems are and then when you get to that like second backstory you're like oh wow so it's like really moving when you read that you know christmas storyline and then you go and you think back to a lot of what switch does in the series when you read that backstory and then you think about like all the context behind his action in the series and like everything is like wow so like switch is like a great example of how to make like a character who's like on the surface just really interesting and funny but like when you delve deeper in him like you feel like such sympathy for like how tragic a character he really is and he's still funny but like there's also a lot of sadness to him that like is still present like throughout the manga but eventually he overcomes it yeah, I I want more characters in manga like this where you have a character with a really like funny, interesting gimmick, and then little little do you know there is a very tragic reason behind that gimmick. And as soon as you learn about you know why it's tragic, you you kind of have a hard time looking at that character the same way again. I I think they even kind of pulled that sort of thing in Toriko. I forget I forget the character's name though. Um, Yuda. I think his name was Yuda. Yeah. Um, it's it's something I hope to see more of because I I find those kinds of characters really interesting. But yeah, Switch is Switch is definitely probably the best character in the entire series, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah. Next to Basun. So you think Basun is the best, or Switch is the best? Yeah, I, 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 yeah I probably worded that. I, I, I worded that. Well, I think they're probably both equally the best because I love Switch as a character. And I'm totally invested in his um, in his struggles all the way all the way from the beginning to the end. But I also sort of kind of relate to Basun. So like so in that sense, like I I view them I I view them both as equally equally like my favorite characters. I definitely think they're the best characters in terms of their character arcs. Switch is probably who I choose if I had to choose between them as the best in terms of his character arc. But Basun's incredibly compelling as well. Which you probably don't expect from the beginning, because he seems pretty straightforward. But, like, when you learn his backstory, that also gives a lot of context to him. And he also has really good developments through the manga. Mm-hmm. But I think all three characters are really strong. They're a great, like, team. A great trio of characters. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't really, like, touched on Himiko too much. Because she's, she's actually, she's a great character, too. And hey, she she's a great female character in a jump manga. You don't you don't see that a lot. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't <laughs> go that far. I would say that she is a great character and probably one of my favorite female characters in a jump manga though. Cuz just like the other characters, just like Switch and Basun, like she has 
great backstory that informs, like, her character and why she behaves the way she does. And she also, like, grows a lot throughout the story. She decides to become a teacher towards the end of the story and works really hard towards that and ultimately becomes, like, the best at English in her class. And it's really nice to see. And, like, in the final story arc, because she's, like, the best at English in the class, she gets to write, like, the scenario for this big, like, event they have to put on. And... That's really cool. So that was really nice. Uh, but also, I guess we focus more on Switch and Basu probably because Himiko's backstory is the simplest. It's still very relatable, but basically she be kind of like like her like her whole thing is that she she's a former delinquent who has this sort of reputation about her. And when actually one of the things because um, I. Out of, out of the three uh, Skedan characters, um, it used to be I actually kind of liked her backstory the least, only because, not just because it's simple, but also because, like, with Switch and Bossoon, you know, their stories aren't as straightforward, and, like, anytime we delve into them more, we, we learn more about them, whereas with Himiko, I don't feel like we really learn that much new about her. Yeah, Himiko's backstory is pretty, like, closed in terms of when it comes in and like how it leaves off whereas with Basun and Switch at the end of like their backstories there's still a lot more to explore because we're after at the end of Basun's backstory it immediately takes us back to the present and we learn like the ramifications of stuff that we saw in the backstory and that changes kind of the status quo in the present when it like catches up and then with switch it's like this ongoing mystery right up until like the very last couple chapters of the series of like how he joins get dan and then also if he'll ever decide to speak again so that's a long-term character arc and with himeko she at the end of her backstory because a big part of her backstory is that she was friends with this girl who ultimately kind of betrayed her or like blew her off. And so she lost trust in people. And eventually, you know, Basun and uh, Takahashi, the captain of the baseball team, like they helped her out and she was able to, and she made friends with them and she became indebted to Basun for helping her. So, you know, she agreed to join him as a member of Skedan. And then when we flash back to the present after Himuka's reflected on all this, she meets up with that friend who, you know, kind of treated her badly in the past and they kind of make amends because that friend feels bad for what she did and she was, like, visiting that park that they always used to hang out with all the time, like, to to see if Himiko would ever show up so, like, she could apologize one day. And so, you know, she apologizes, like, they make amends and they go their separate ways. And that's basically, like, the end of all the things that came come out of that backstory for a long time until we get to a later arc where Himiko goes to visit a friend she had before she became the Onihime back in Osaka, I believe. And then there's like a bunch of stuff there that happens. So that that's like the only other time like where it really plays back into her backstory that heavily. Aside from like, general times when like a character is saying something like insensitive that hits home like in the final arc uh the the new chairman of the school like says stuff that like relates to both himiko and switch's situations that like really you know hit home with them 
And that's a big reason why they, like, fight back against the guy, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, with Himiko in particular, like, there's not as much to explore with her, but there isn't, like, anything. Like, there's not nothing. Like, um, I like a lot of the material with um, with a later character, uh, Kato Kiri, uh, who transfers over to uh, to the to Kaime Academy. And uh, he, he and Himiko kind of have a few discussions with each other that I really enjoy because they they relate to each other's situations and they both know where they're coming from. So I, li- I like a lot of that stuff. That, that Some of that stuff's pretty great. Yeah, that was pretty good. Ultimately, the Kato and Sabaki relationship becomes more important Yeah, afterwards, but that was a good relation that relationship uh, for that character and his arc as well. Yeah, and I feel I feel like um obviously uh Subaki and Kato's relationship really does sort of end up mirroring uh Basun and Himiko's relationship very much. Yeah, although Kato is a little more reverent of Subaki than Himiko is of Basun. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. Like the, the the thing that really hits hits me about Skep Dance is that, you know, especially in Switch's case, that uh you know, but both both Himiko and Switch really really were just like completely lost in their lives uh, through one circumstance or another, and and it's Boston that comes in and basically gives them like a purpose in life because you know Himiko on on one hand is just this just this uh, um, um, wild delinquent who really has nothing to do but to take out her frustrations on you know people who want to you know ha- want to have a bout with her. And pretty much closes herself off because of what happened to her, uh, what happened to her other best friend from her hometown or whatever. And then you have Switch, who, because of the death of his brother, is just, you know, completely, I mean, they're, I guess really, yeah, they're, they're both closed off from people and they really don't feel like they don't really have anything to live for, especially in Switch's case. But, you know, I, I like that Boston kind of comes in and kind of sort of, gives them a new meaning in life, and I feel like that's really inspiring. Yeah, he tells them to use their strengths to help people, and I think that really inspires them. He is like their hero in a lot of ways, because he helps them out of those bad places in their lives. And so they also decide to help other people in the same way he helped them. Not to get super personal, but like, you know... Part of the reason the series means so much to me is because I have friends like that who are in a very, very bad place in their lives. Like a lot, of, a lot of my best friends now, uh, I met in high school like years ago. They were moving in from like different states, and they kind of had points in their lives where, like you know, they had trouble adjusting to a new environment, and they didn't really have any friends. You know, so late in their high school career, and you know, they they both really wanted to make a point to. Uh, you know, kind of close themselves off and, you know, not make any friends because it's like, you know, they didn't really feel like there was a point. And then eventually, you know, you know, we all met each other and then things just kind of went from there and they realized, oh, that's kind of dumb. I should really start making friends again. (laughs) So, I I mean, my circumstances aren't nearly as tragic as either of them, but, you know, like, that's part of the reason it hits home for me is because I have friends like that. So it's like, I totally, I totally understand uh, where these three are coming from. And I relate to it very much personally, so that's that's probably the biggest reason why I love the series so much. Yeah, I think it has a really great message for especially young readers that 
you shouldn't isolate yourself. You shouldn't feel like you have nothing to offer the world because you, everyone has something special about them that can be of help to others. And then everyone deserves, you know, to have companionship and friends and no one should be alone and you shouldn't wall yourself yourself away from the world because you have a lot to offer and there are a lot of people out there who want to be your friend or like want to know you and you know there is like happiness out there for you even if you think that you know you can never be happy again and so i think that's really moving and really inspiring and especially for like young readers like who might not know what direction they want to go in life or if they're like feeling alone like i think this was a great series for that audience and like even as an adult like i relate to a lot of it especially like things that can be applied to lessons about dealing with depression and loneliness and stuff like that so this was like really cathartic to read at times yeah, there's especially some great lessons in the final arc, which we'll definitely be getting to a little later. I want to kind of save my thoughts on those for a little later in the discussion. But man, some 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 of the messages in that final arc are really like honestly pretty amazing. Um, something I took away from the series was that you know if you have the ability to, you should help people, but you should also you should also be able to accept help from other people as well. Yeah, that's important. Because that's that's definitely something that I've struggled with, uh, something that I know a lot of people have struggled with who, you know, might, might have a little too much pride and think, oh, I can just do all this myself. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking for help or accepting help. And I think that's a, that's a lesson that the series uh, pulls off very well. Um, but uh, I guess something else I kind of want to. I kind of want to move on to a little bit. Um, speaking of, uh, we were kind of pointing out similarities with Gintama. Uh, so, I mean, we are going to be bringing up Gintama a lot, mostly because uh, Kento Shinohara used to work as an assistant for Hideaki Sirachi, the creator of Gintama, who obviously Shinohara ev- eventually went on to create his own series, you know, Skept Dance, and then later Astro Lost in Space, basically went on to do his own work. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I know how long exactly he was an assistant for Sirachi, but I'm assuming he worked with him for at least a little while. Um, so obviously, you know, with that connection in mind, you know, when Sket Dance kind of became a bit more, I guess, relevant, um, and as more people started noticing it, I like, I, I see people all the time who like blow Sket Dance off because, you know, they just assume, oh, it's just a ripoff of Gintama. Oh, oh, th- three people who do odd jobs? Like, pff, no, that's, that's too similar. It's a ripoff. And, you know, the, the series, Sket Dance kind of pokes fun at itself, or, or I should really say Gintama pokes fun at it. Uh, Gintoki, I think at one point, literally calls Sket Dance the poor man's Gintama. I think Sket Dance also makes fun of itself for its similarities to Gintama. Like, I believe there's a joke like that in the first chapter <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, I, I think there is too. But personally, I feel like um, people take, I don't know, I feel like people may take those comments a little too seriously. Yeah, it's too reductive a statement to say that Sket Dance is a ripoff of Gintama. They have really all they have is just similar premise of three people are in this odd job team and they help other people. But that's really the extent of where the similarities in their premises lie. 
But beyond that, they're completely different series in terms of the setting, subject matter, and the way they explore their characters. The only other comparison that I feel is valid is when you're talking about their humor styles. Yeah. But even then, I feel like Sorachi and Chinohara's sense of humor differs a little slightly in terms of what they go for. It's still pretty similar in terms of, like, the use of Sakomi uh, gags, characters reacting on the craziness of other characters. There's a bunch of pop culture references still. So... They have similar styles, but I feel like in execution, I feel just a different vibe from the series that it's hard to like put in the words, but it all has to tie into the setting and then how the humor relates to the characters. Because with Gintama, I feel like the characters can do all sorts of crazy things and uh, they can get into a bunch of over-the-top kind of shenanigans, larger-than-the-life kind of things. But Sket Dance is a little more grounded. So it's taking place in this more domestic, like, school-life setting. And while there are, like, fantasy one-off chapters, and there's also times where the series gets really ridiculous, it's contrasted with, you know, the serious grounded portions of the series, which the problems the characters tend to have are stuff that you could imagine like a real person having problems with. Yeah. And in Gintama, like the situations are more like, like kind of of an extreme, like fit, fantastical kind of problem. Like there's still may, maybe a serious problem. Like you can feel a lot for the characters, but spoiler for Gintama here, it's less relatable that you had to kill your mentor and then that mentor comes back to life like as this new person, this new evil person. Then it, a, there is a situation in Sket Dance with what, like, especially the main trio have to deal with, with finding out about, like, who their parents really were or being a delinquent and isolating themselves and then learning to, you know, become friends with people or, or like being a shut in and just walling yourself off from the world after a big tragedy that you feel you were at fault for. Like those feel like really relatable problems. I can imagine a real person having. So I feel that gives a different context for when you see the characters behave in a humorous setting. Like it feels different when the characters are making a joke because it, it feels like more like a joke you can imagine that feels i guess relatable is the only word i can put it it's really hard to describe pinpoint exactly what the difference in the comedy is but it feels different when you're reading these series well i i think one of the main components of why it's different is that sket dance's humor is not nearly at all as dirty as Gintama's is at all. It um, can go to dirty places, though. It can, but, but Gintama I, d- is definitely that definitely extreme. definitely not as many dick jokes in no, Sket Dance. No, like, not at all, really. Um, yeah. So, like, Shinohara and Sorachi, there we go. I think Shinohara and Sorachi have different, like, tastes in humor. Like, tastes in things they find funny. Even though, and the style 
they execute their humor is similar, but the taste and subject matter of the humor is different. There we go. I think that's the core of it. I was going to say, I feel like you brought this point up. I feel like it's definitely in the setting, too, because Sket Dance's setting is way more grounded than Sirachi's is. Sirachi can literally get away with whatever he wants to, and, like, it yeah. It somehow works. I mean, Gintama is set in an anachronistic Edo where it's been invaded by aliens, so they have modern technology and futuristic technology, but most of the human characters are wearing, like, <laughs> mid 1800s Japanese clothing. And also there are aliens that Sirachi just kind of gives up on using at one point. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the most, I guess really the most fantastical element to Sket Dance's world is that their, their, their club supervisor, Chuma Sensei, deals with chemicals and is sort of a lazy mad scientist. And, you know, sometimes they accidentally drink their potions and in the form of cola and they never fucking learn ever not to drink anything around chuma sensei um but that, that's that's really that's really about it like you said the sket dance is just more grounded in general and i feel like i feel like the problems that sket that the characters in sket dance go through are more relatable but I, as far as both series goes uh thankfully the the emotions that the characters go through in in both series are still very relatable i think in particular yeah, but at the core of it, Sket Dancing and Tama are not that similar. No. It's really reductive to say that Sket Dance is a ripoff in particular because it, it's about stuff that's so different than what Gintama is about. Yeah. And like what the story leads to is so different than what Gintama's story leads to. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, but like gintama fans think it's hard to get other people in the gintama try getting other people in the sket dance like they they won't even they won't even look twice like i've i've had troubles trying to convince people that sket dance is actually good but you know it's 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 one of it's one of those things where like here's a similarity between both series both people just assume it's just all comedy all the time and there are no like meaningful characters at all and they don't they don't go through anything it's just a bunch of uh, poop and fart and dick jokes or whatever and it's all just comedy all the time <laughs> it's so weird when i ever i hear you say that about like get gintama and get dance the people have that perception of them because whenever i've heard of them the reputation that i had heard from them before i ever got into them was that they had super serious arcs and those were like the real draw like with get dance in particular before like ever read it for like years the reputation it had was for the backstories of the character and like how incredible they were so it's like really interesting to me because there's like this one half who has this perception that these series are just ostensibly comedies always. And then there's this other half who like sees that the big draw of these series are the serious arcs and character drama moments. So it's like there's this weird divide and disconnect between like what people know about these series before going into it and like what is attracting them to read them. I mean, granted, I don't hear people say that as much about Sket Dance as they do Gintama. Gintama, unfortunately, I feel like has more of that stigma where people just assume it's 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 all just comedy and there's nothing there's like no nuance to it. But like, yeah, it it is it is a problem that both series do have. Like, I I've known way too many I've met too, way too many people in my life who just kind of dismiss 
both series, especially Gintama. I I used to know a guy who would just call Gintama Japanese family guy and literally didn't like couldn't grasp that oh maybe there's maybe like maybe Gintama is sort of genre savvy like it like it's not just a comedy it could be more than one thing but i think that's just a problem with just media in general where people just think oh it's just this one thing and it can't be anything else i think also with Gintama is that it is comedy focused most of the time and it's so long that if people see a random episode it might just be a comedy episode because I definitely have experienced this before, where, like, long time back, or maybe just two or so years back, when I posted, like, a list of, like, all the serious arcs in Gintama, quote-unquote, all the plot-relevant arcs in Gintama, because I got a friend of mine, Smart Conspiracy on Animation Revelation, he wanted to get into the series, but he only really cared about the plot stuff, so I gave him a list of plot arcs. And then, like, someone else... In the tread, who like who like knew Gintama? It was like what? There are plot. Gintama has a plot. <laughs> so yeah, uh, people who have like just a cursory knowledge of Gintama probably don't realize that it does have an overarching plot and character development and stuff. I just think it is a bunch of episodic comedy stuff. But I think Sket Dance just because the. Switcher's backstory in particular, just because the backstories and dramatic moments are just so standout and well-written that it earned the reputation for that more so than its comedy, at least it, for the amount of time that I've known about the series and what I had heard about the series that people were really talking about with it. I remember when I first got into Sket Dance, I was I was still like, you know, posting on forums and stuff at the time, you know. I was asking around, like, hey, so what do people think of these, like, backstories? Because, like, at the time, I had heard so, like, I don't I don't want to, like, you know, completely dismiss your your experience with, like, what people think about Sket Dance. Because, like, I, I, I did see that around, too, where it's like, oh, yeah, like, the backstories for all these characters are so good. And I, I would see that around a lot, too, uh, before I actually got into it. And I was really afraid that the hype wasn't going to, like, I like, I felt like I was being set up to be disappointed. Like, I, for some reason, I was just like, are they really that good? Like, I guess I'll see. I guess I'll see what everybody's talking about. Uh, th- thankfully, Switches is the first of the three uh, three characters' backstories, because holy shit, I think I cried for like a whole two days because <laughs> I just, man, that, when I first, when you first see Switch's backstory, or at least when I did, like, that affected me so much, because like, I never ever in a million years would have thought that a series like Sket Dance would go in this sort of direction at all. Like, there's like, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but like, there's like death involved and like actual depression and it deals with a lot of really heavy shit in the beginning, which I really wasn't expecting. So, yeah, in a very short time, Switch became pretty much one of my favorite characters just in general. Like, like that was a trip. Um, <laughs> and I have a friend who I also was watching Sket Dance with up until we got to that episode with Switch's backstory. And like, it, it like affected him so much that he hasn't watched any since. <laughs> cause it, cause it just, it depresses him so much. He's like, he's like actually afraid to watch anymore. <laughs> I, I, I've totally just remembered. Um, I wanted to, uh, I, well, I guess while we're talking about, 
uh, the similarities and differences between Gintama and Sket Dance kind of transitions into what I want to talk about. I want to tra- like I'm going to use that as a transition to kind of talk about uh, what I really like. One of my favorite aspects about Sket Dance, because um, one of the biggest differences I feel like between both series is that, um, and I'm I want to try to pick my words carefully here, and I want to try to see I want to see how to explain this here. So, you know, obviously both series are known for its uh, for for breaking the fourth wall. I feel like Gintama, uh, more so, um, really goes out of its way to break the fourth wall. Skit Dance does it too, though. But, uh, so, in Gintama's case, while there is a lot of fourth wall breaking, and, you know, sometimes, uh, like, literally in the first chapter there, of Gintama in particular, there's a moment where, uh, Gin has this cool scene where, like, he's gonna fight back all the, uh, all the Amanto trying to, uh, trying to kidnap Shinpachi's sister while Shinpachi and her run away. And then literally, like, a page later, Gintoki is running away from them, and Shinpachi's like, hey, weren't you supposed to fight those guys? And and Gin, I forget exactly what he says, he says something along the lines of, like, do you know how long it takes to, like, draw, like, pages of action sequences or whatever? <laughs> and, you know, that stuff is great. Uh, but I feel like sometimes what Gintama kind of lacks is that um, as, as much as Gintama breaks the fourth wall, I feel like Gintama, the manga in particular, and... I will admit I have not read all of the manga, but I've read enough to see that, like, to have the opinion that I feel like Gintama doesn't really, the manga in particular, I don't feel like utilizes the medium of comics very much. Like, I feel like, like, the one moment that really kind of sticks out in my mind and is an example of what I'm talking about is, uh, is during an arc where uh, the the odd jobs accidentally stop time, or more so, Gin accidentally freeze time, and at one point in their attempt to try to uh, freeze and refreeze time, Gin uh, uses one of the manga sound effects to, uh, in, in comedic effect for something. I, I forget exactly what's going on. Uh, I think it leads to a dick and balls joke. I don't know. It's Gintama, but. Um, yeah, again, Toki li- literally breaks off a piece of a manga sound effect and uses it for whatever. And I feel like Gintama doesn't do enough of that kind of thing. Um, whereas Sket Dance, I feel like, utilizes that very much. Um, and it kind of leads into two, some of my favorite, uh, some of my favorite material outside of the more, uh, serious stuff is, um, is where, um, what was it? Uh, so I forget which chapter it is. There's a chapter where, um, where the Sket Dan and, uh, their social studies teacher, Yamanobe Sensei, like, his whole thing is that he has a lot of, like, really weird, uh, obscure, like, board games and video games that he's always having uh, the Sket Dance try out, because he has, like, a weird games club or something, um, from, like, <laughs> knockoffs of Mario to, like, really, uh, weird, like, maybe tennis games i don't know like i don't i don't even know what that first game is they play but it's pretty fun um hyperion hyperion yeah yeah um and i forget what game they're playing but it's a game involving mustaches and that's all i remember um in in this particular game they have they part of the part of the like gimmick of the game is that you get like fired up while playing it and by fired up like you're actually on fire and it leads to this thing where basically the sket dance set their entire club room on fire. And in literally the next chapter, they're reprimanded for that and they have to face the board of education. And so like 
they basically have to explain themselves because obviously setting fire to your own club room is uh is kind of a serious offense like that's that's uh that's property damage like you, you gotta yeah. you, you have to be punished <laughs> for that in the real world it's uh, surprising this is the first time they're really getting punished for that, since that is not the first time they've set something on fire. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, like, they basically have to explain themselves, but, like, the, the Skepdan have to, like, they, they try to basically figure out a way to explain, this is a gag manga, that kind of thing happens. But, like, the, disciplinar- the disciplinary committee just doesn't understand that. And they're just kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, can you actually, like, tell us what happened? But no, the, the, like, like it's, so they they have a really hard time explaining that, um, which is great, which also leads into this whole thing where, like, all the all the people they have helped come in to help them. And Basun is like, is this, like, the final chapter? Like, what's going on? I mean, that's an incredible moment. I really love, like, the community formed around this get down, all the people that they help and, like, how they come to their defense when they're in trouble. Like, that was a great moment. I think it's it's like equivalent to that moment in Kintama at the end at the beginning of uh, the Silver Soul arc, where like all the characters were like in the absence of the Yorzua, they were like trying to defend Edo until they like get there. Like to me, it's kind of like that. Like you see all the supporting characters come to the defense or like to in support of like the main trio who has helped them like throughout the course of the story. Yeah, so it's. Except in this case with Sket Dance, it's kind of played off as more of a joke. It is, but I still thought it was a really sweet moment. No, I mean, I mean, it is, it is, it is still a pretty good moment. But, um, so from there, like, you know, they, they get out of it eventually. Cause so after, after they burn down the, uh, the club room and they have to deal with the Board of Education, then they have to share the room. They have to share a room with the student council for a little bit until their room gets renovated. There's a great other thing where, like, um, another thing too, uh, Skep Dance also has like these popularity poll chapters and stuff. And while they don't go on as long as Gintama's popularity poll arc does, they, <laughs> they, they get pretty creative. Like the, the, their second popularity poll, they basically just have the Skep Dan guess which random character who got like a minute number of votes and like what place they, uh, they have in the popularity contest. And they make like a. That's a really fun way to do it too. Like you have to guess like what character placed where so that was a really way really cool way of delivering that i also like the first one just for the build-up of it because the entire time you're wondering where bastoon is gonna place and he's like freaking out during the entire chapter because like so many weird characters are getting placements in strange places and then uh but it culminates really nicely when you finally get to reveal that yes he was number one and then everyone like you know Guys, rather than list them up in the air and whatever, and like it's really nice. There, there's really there's nice. also a great moment while while we're talking about like meta jokes where like Kenta Shinohara appears for a bit. Um, yeah, and he's like, <laughs> "Whoa, I'm in this." And he's like number eleven too, and his assistants are like, "Dude, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and of course, Roman of all people hears him, and then everyone else is like, "What? What are you? What are you guys doing?" <laughs> yeah. Roman is the character who breaks the fourth wall the most and is the most aware of the fourth wall. She is a mangaka 
uh, and she draws like these really like badly drawn shoujo manga, but they're so absurd in their plots that they're kind of interesting <laughs> because they're so weird. So she ultimately ends up becoming like a professional mangaka, or at least she eventually becomes an assistant to one. No, she does get published. She has her one shot actually published in the magazine. Yeah, and then she becomes an assistant afterwards. So, you know, she's on her way. And it's, yeah, it's all just because her manga is interesting, even though they are not necessarily the best drawn or even written. But yeah, she has great gags where she'll, like, be aware of, like, she'll make the most meta jokes. Like, she'll break the pages to make her introduction, or she'll refer back to something that happened on a previous page and, like, flip pages back. So she is, like, the mo- she's like really fun for how Shinohara writes her as this like uh, character who is like super aware of the fourth wall that she can like br- break the manga in a way to to do absurd things. No, yeah, she's she's honestly probably one of my favorite side characters. Um, mm-hmm. But speaking of speaking of fourth wall breaks, um, going back to the popularity poll chapter I was talking about. Um, the loser of that game has to be turned into a stick figure for the entirety of the yes. next chapter. And so, <laughs> Basun, spoiler alert, ultimately loses. And so, Shinohara literally draws him as a stick figure for the entirety of the next chapter. And, like, they're, like, everybody's just, like, playing with this stick parts, and it's kind of weird. And Subaki- And the best part is how it's worded, because it's worded that you have to be a stick figure for a week. So, in that chapter itself, like, it plays with, okay, how much amount of time does that mean? Does that mean just the length of the chapter? Or in-universe, does that mean, like, a week? And that's really great, because everyone treats, uh, boss normally in that chapter even though he's a stick figure and like his body is such as a stick figure that he does like you know stuff that only a stick figure can do and Sabaki's the only one who like questioned this and is like freaking out it's like wondering okay when is he like gonna turn back what's the deal with this like why is everybody just accepting this I think yeah and in the universe it takes a week because that was the technicality I love I I love stuff like that where like a series just gets so absurd that the straight man is wondering, wait, is this normal? I think this is normal. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love stuff like that. So that that's definitely one of my favorite chapters of the entirety of the series. Um, that was really good, yeah. But yeah, that that's that's one of the things I really love about Sket Dance is that I really do feel like compared to Gintama, uh, Shinohara really does play with the medium a lot. Uh, and I think yeah. to to a very absurd and fun degree, like it's it's I don't know, like I I appreciate that about the series so much because I think I feel like that's where some of the best comedy comes from, personally speaking, because I feel like a lot of those jokes always hit bullseye. Yeah, I I agree. I love romance chapters, and I love all the times where they play on meta aspects and break the fourth wall and stuff. Like they always do it in a very clever way. Uh, you know what, actually, I just realized that as much as I've been mentioning the student council, we haven't really, like, talked about them as characters at all. Yeah, so the student council, we said this before in our previous review of Sket Dance as well, but the student council is basically the Shinsengumi to the Sket Dance Yorozuya. They're kind of like rivals, but more often than not, then they're more like allies that help each other. The most important character in the student council is Subaki, 
or Sasuke Tsubaki, who is very similar to Basun in terms of, like, he's very dedicated to, like, helping people. The difference with Tsubaki is that, like, he's very strict in following the rules. He's very rigid. upholding that. So very early on, when Tsubaki is first introduced, he is trying to get, you know, the Sketdan disbanded because they keep breaking regulations. And he is very irritated with that. And he also, like, is so uh, strict to the rules that he, like, calls out them having Momoka, a student from another school, you know, hanging out with them, saying that she shouldn't be allowed on premises because she's a delinquent and stuff. So it kind of really illustrates at the beginning of the series that Sabaki is very interested in helping people, but he's very strict in following the rules of the school. And like even the rest of the student council are not as obsessed with that as him. In fact, they don't really care at all. Ageha, who is the student council president, is super lazy and just does not care. He, like, approved the sket dance just on a whim. He did did not really... uh, He doesn't care too much about, like, following the rules to the letter, but Sibaki is. Over the course of the series, though, he slowly grows to allow exceptions, allow himself to be a little lax and take each situation into account and, like, the pe- uh, people into account to better help them. That's really, like, exemplified in how he helped Kato Kiri, like, later on in the series with his situation with that like, bad teacher that Kato was dealing with, and, like, saving Kato from, like, getting himself expelled by exposing that teacher, which was a really great moment for him. But what's very interesting about the Tsubaki and Basun rivalry is that they make a point to point out how similar these characters are in, like, their behaviors and attitudes, and then later on, it's revealed there's a deeper reason for that, and that they're actually brothers who were separated by Bert, which ties into Boston's backstory of how his parents died. And his mother decided to give one of her babies, because she gave birth to twins, she decided to give one of her babies to the doctor, who he and his wife did not have any children of their own because they couldn't conceive. So because she knew that her friend... Akane, I believe, who decided to take care of Basun because she knew that she couldn't handle being a single parent of like two children. She decided to give one of her babies to the doctor. And so they were raised separately from Bert, even though they didn't realize it, but their paths intertwined in an interesting way when they were children in that Basun actually, like, inspired Tsubaki to become a person who could stand up for others and not be uh, weak and, like, a crybaby like he was as a kid. So Basun inspired Tsubaki to be the way he was, kind of. And he doesn't even know it. Yeah, he doesn't even know it. And I don't think they ever actually realize it. But it's, like, really interesting. And then from that point on, like... The Boston Sabaki relationship is probably my favorite relationship in the series because I love how it develops. Like from the place it starts, it's you know Sabaki at the beginning of the manga was not actually one of I didn't really care for him that much because he seemed like just too 
uh, too strict, like too much, like he too not as sympathetic, you know. But no, once yeah. the ser- once it develops, once we like get that revelation about like him and Bossing being brothers, and then like see how he kind of softens after that, and see like the playful relationship they have, and how they help each other out as Tsubaki eventually has to take up the mantle as the new student council president once Ageha retires, like. It's really, really just compelling relationship. And those are some of my favorite moments, like them just talking to each other to become closer throughout the course of the series. And when they finally like call each other like big brother, little brother, like later on and stuff, it's really, really sweet. So he, Sabaki is the most important character in the student council. He gets the most development and he does the most outside of just being in the student council because he ends up helping the skit dance a lot. And most of the student council plots end up revolving around him. Aside from him, we have Ageha, who... Agata. As we mentioned before... Agata, sorry. Who is Ageha? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Agata is the student council president. But honestly, he he doesn't do that much while he's the student council president. His most uh, memorable thing he did to me was during the village battle arc when he showed off like how insanely smart and calculating he is but also uh, when he had that card battle with a uh, bossoon which was insanely complicated but yeah neat in just in terms of like how he outwitted bossoon and the big character moment he had there was like he noticed that the sponsor of the village battle l- had bribed like the judges to have like roman lose in the previous match so you know he like stands up to them and says like that is not right and you know so that was a good moment but aside from that he doesn't really get to do much afterwards as outside i mean like the student council has their own comedy chapters but like he doesn't get anything big dramatic to do but later on after he leaves the council he has this really funny but strange left turn of an arc where he gets like super paranoid and obsessive over his little sister's like love life because he misinterprets like who she's in love with and like becomes really obsessed and protective of her and at least to a bunch of misunderstandings that ultimately end up affecting like his grades and his test scores and entrance exams to college so they have to go through great lengths to try and clear up his misunderstandings and get him to focus on the exam so he can pass and go actually go to college so it was really strange for a character who is like kind of pretty laid back and serious to suddenly become super like weirdly obsessive about his little sister later on but it was pretty funny so i don't mind Uh, and related to that is the other like third year at the beginning of the series who is you know in the student council with agata michiru shinba who it has even less to do out of all the student council members in the series. Because his thing is that he's really good looking and good at cooking. He has one chapter outside of the Vivage battle where he gets to show off his cooking and that he like does this cooking show that uh, the student council and the Sketan like mess up. But... Aside from that, he doesn't do anything else notable in the student council until, but later on, when a god is like, 
distracting himself with Saya's love life, he becomes like the the voice of reason to Agata and tries to help him out because he understands the situation better than anyone because he can see like the love uh, pentagon, pentagon or whatever that is there and he's trying to clear up the misunderstandings but somehow it ends up that Agata misunderstands that Michiru is in love with Saya which he's not and that just caused further complications oh boy. but eventually uh, he ultimately manages to succeed in helping Agata out but uh, so he, he, it was interesting. He didn't do much at first, but then eventually he was essential to that subplot. I, I personally liked learning about how he became student council president, kind of sort of out of this, uh, sort, sort of out of the, the, out of the desire to kind of like, you know, make Kaime a more laid back institution. Like I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that was neat. Uh, that was also something, though, that came after the he left the student council. So it goes a long time before we really get much out of Michiru. Because he and Agata are on the student council for, like, the first 150 chapters. So the first three years of serializations. But So it takes a, that a much amount of time before he really does anything. Uh, and then we have... Uh, Uniu? Yeah, Unyu, yeah, she's the rich girl, and she's kind of, like, uh, outwardly, like, really nice. Uh, I don't know if she really had that much else to her personality besides that. There was that one funny chapter where, like, uh, they broke this, like, toy car or whatever, or they were, like, looking for this toy car, so they went to her mansion, and it was, like, insanely huge or whatever, and, like, both her and her dad were, like, weirdly chill as rich people. And they were, like, over this, like, toy car or whatever. I don't remember the details of that completely, but that was a strange but funny chapter. I think it's because they were willing to spend so much money just to get this one toy car fixed that, like, Basun and Subaki feel, like, really humbled accepting, like, that much help and money that they feel really bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was good. And then we get Daisy, uh, Kyukuno Asahina, and she tro- she's like very serious as well. She throws a bunch of harsh insults at people all the time that are, that are like get weary elaborate at places. They're, they're acronym insults. It's really weird. Oh yeah. DOS is like the main one. I forget what it stands for, but she says that a lot. DOS, D-O-S. Yeah. So she actually has an arc. Uh, where she has to learn, you know, to accept help from Tsubaki. And it's a, the arc is literally called Tsubaki and Daisy. So that was a really good arc for her in terms of like character development. And then uh, after Tsubaki takes over the student council, Kiri Kata, who we mentioned before, who is like this uh, ninja guy who yeah. is really into like justice and helping people in his way which can be extreme at times eventually after Tsubaki wins them over because at first when he joins the council he kind of does it on a whim and also like in defiance of like Tsubaki like he doesn't like get along or obey Tsubaki's orders he's just a rogue agent but then after Tsubaki helps him out and exposing that bad teacher he had in middle school for the scumbag he was like he becomes super indebted to Zabaki and really loyal to him to the 
fact that he like always like follows him around and watches his back and is like super obsessive over him. So that was I liked him more when he became that kind of character, I guess, than he was at the beginning. But his development in between was very good. And then finally, the last one is Hana Usumi, who is basically launched from Dragon Ball in that she has a split personality. Uh, in her default personality, she's just this kind of quiet demur girl who like will refuse to talk to boys because she has a phobia of them and so she will talk to uh male characters through another female character so she'll say whatever she has to say to like say sabaki to anyu or daisy and then they'll say what she's saying to sabaki even though there's in the same room and he can hear everything she's yeah. saying and then when she gets touched by a boy she turns into bunny and then she becomes like super flirty and a uh, seductress, I guess. So she has a whole arc about learning to be comfortable around boys and accepting like that, those two parts of her personality and overcoming that, which culminates in like this play where she has to interact as herself around other male characters. So like she ultimately has a good arc but her gag does get a little old yeah i feel so i i think i might have tweeted about this in my thread but i think i said something along the lines of hey look it's lunch from dragon ball except not as funny unfortunately yeah i mean she has more character development than launch you could say but she's definitely not her joke is definitely does not get as much mileage no that 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 running gag does get kind of old quickly honestly yeah. but um so comp- yeah so compared to the sket dan i feel like overall the student council as a group aren't like equally strong as characters they're not all equally like developed or like rich in development as a group they work Grood in like comedy chapters though, though they're not as fun as the Sket Dan. But like Subaki is definitely like if we said before that Switch and Bossoon were our like favorite characters or the characters we thought were like the best in the series, I think Subaki is like up there with them yeah. in terms of his character arc. And also, you know, he is a funny character too. Like he has he is like an innocent boy at heart and there's some good gags with that i really love the chapter when he's making these terrible t-shirts and he has just the funniest expression whenever anyone like tells him that the t-shirt kind of sucks and he has like this really funny shock expression i just loved it his interactions with bossing are adorable i was just scrolling through my thread and i was immediately reminded of the chapter where they're they're both both the sket dan and the student council are both are supposed to shovel snow but then they end up snowball fighting and Subaki gets like super into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, that was pretty good too um but no yeah uh so the student council yeah as a group i think they work better than they do individually unfortunately but mm-hmm. but but Subaki, i think Subaki and agata are probably my favorite out of out of the five i guess honestly yeah, they get the most development, I feel. Because I, I don't think the... I mean, Hana has an arc throughout multiple chapters. Kiri has an arc throughout multiple chapters. But uh, Daisy has that one arc, and that's all. And then Unyu doesn't really have an arc. so uh, But she's mostly just a comedy character. Yeah. But, like, Agata is really just of 
good personality that's like fun whenever he's like around even though he doesn't do that much but like he does get his moments and like <laughs> they are they can be very funny and also just very cool like we've said before and then Sabaki again has like one of the best character arcs next to Switch and Basu. Yeah. Um but I guess as long as we're talking about like side characters uh I guess we want to t- we we don't have to go through all of them cuz it is a very expensive ca- expansive cast but Yeah. I guess we could talk about at least a few of them. Yeah. A lot of them have like their recurring gags and like when they appear in a chapter you can kind of tell what ca- the chapter will kind of be about. Yeah. So like for example Chuma Sensei chapters. Chuma will usually have like this weird like invention or like potion that he's concocted that will cause weird side effects and that'll be the chapter like dealing with those weird side effects. Like the main big one that gets repeated a lot is the potion that turns you back into a child so the first time it happens is basun and then it happens to himiko and momoka a long time later it happens to sabaki so that happens quite a few times yeah. there's also a lot of other weird potions that kahi does throughout the series related to him is misora Raimi sensei who's like this clutchy uh, teacher's assistant to comes in uh, a year or so serialization into the series, I think. And eventually she falls for Chuma and tries to start a relationship with him, which actually does like happen during the middle of the series. And that was really nice. And then we have Yamanobi, who's like the other like major teacher. And he, as we mentioned before, he comes up with the weird games like Genesis and Hyperion, all of which were supposedly taught to him by some guy called Master Wan. <laughs> and yeah, those are really fun. Uh, just the absurdity of the of the games he comes up with. Just just to list some of my favorites, like we talked about Roman. Uh, she's definitely one of yeah. my favorite characters. Um, Shinzo is another one of my favorites. He's one of the more earlier characters. He's he's from the uh the Kendo Club, and he's he's super into being a samurai. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really like Shinzo a lot. He has a lot of great chapters and appearances early on. Like, his thing is that he's, he acts like a samurai and, like, tries to put on that, like, image, but he uses technology a lot, <laughs> like, cell phone, and they call him out for it for being, like, anachronistic and not committing to that, his image. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, and he gets over, like, his, like, gimmick that he's introduced to it that he's like he can't like fight seriously unless he t- eats like this candy uh but he gets over that in like a really cool moment like pretty early on and then it doesn't play that much role later on but just in general he's like a funny character uh but um for i was also like really sad at a certain point because there's a long stretch of chapters where he really doesn't show up a a whole lot or do anything like i think all the chapters in like the hundreds like there are a long stretch of time where he just does not appear roman also disappears for a long time but she makes more cameos than shinzo does but towards the end of the series he gets more prominent again yeah shinzo's sort of relegated to like uh, I guess what some people would call like butt monkey status, where like he's yeah. he's kind of the butt of the jokes. Not most of the like at some point during the run because he doesn't show up as much, and people like constantly talk about how he's not how he's not like a popular character or anything. And yeah, he gets kind of <laughs> yamshed, you know. <laughs> like he starts off as like one of the most important characters, but then eventually he's like a C tier side character. But one of my one of my favorite moments is um there's a chapter with with different vignettes of uh 
characters giving each other like Valentine's chocolates, and Sh- and yeah. Shinzo just has a he has a little bubble at the end saying like, "Oh, I got chocolates from my mom." Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that I, mo- I think that him. moment definitely encapsulates like kind of the status of his character at the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> But unlike Yamcha, he bounces back because he gets a good send-off, him and Hakahashi, to, like, the end of their club activities in a really nice emotional chapter. Yeah, that's and a great one. And then gets involved in, like, group events towards the end as well. And, uh, yeah, speaking of, Takahashi's another character I like. They refer to her as Captain uh, most of the time in the manga because she's captain of the baseball team. She's basically Sket Dan's uh, most ardent supporter, though. Yeah, she's there from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. She directs people to get that and support them. Uh, she, you know, was, helped, like, Himiko kind of break out of her shell and, like, you know, by befriending her and also encouraged her to join Basu and Sket Dan. So she's very important to Himiko as a friend. And uh, eventually, she also directs Saya to the Sket Dan later on. And just in general, she... Is like the person who like the Sket Dan will most hang out with regularly. Yeah, because like she's kind of Himiko's best friend, and she has her other like recurring gags. Like she's a big eater, and the joke is that she can eat so fast you can't even see her eat. It just like dematerializes. Yeah, so that was really good. And then she, but she had this weakness to something. I to forget. eggs. To eggs. Like she can't eat eggs, and it makes her throw up. So that, like, affected them when they were trying to win this, like, all-you-can-eat contest. And, like, there were eggs in it, and she couldn't hold it in, so she barfed it up. Uh, and Yeah, and she also got super into... What was the game? Was it... Yeah, Hyperion. Genesis? Yeah. Uh, in the... Uh, or no, I think or, it was Genesis. No, 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 it, it, was it was the it, Genesis, Genesis Grand Prix. It was, Ge- it was Genesis. Yeah, so they go into the Genesis... She joins the, the, the Sketian to go to the Genesis Grand Prix, and she becomes super good at Genesis. And she becomes MVP, and then the winner of the Grand Prix is supposed to marry, like, the king of the island or whatever. And But she, like, eats everything in the feast, and, like... So I guess the... They, the king calls it off because, uh-oh, we, we don't have enough food to feed this girl. But she was into it just because she could eat all the food. So that was funny. But yeah, I liked her a lot. Another one of my favorite side characters is probably Koma. Um, the, the really tall, quiet girl who oh, yeah. whose thing is she can, like, she can mimic different, like, feudal lords. It's really, <laughs> it's, it's a very specific character quirk, but I really like it. And also, uh, one of my, f- I, I love her because, like, you know, she, she's obviously, she's a very quiet character and she's not very outspoken. And Shinohara depicts that by just, like, completely, like, shrinking down her dialogue into, like, a normal sized, yeah. uh, dialogue bubble. And that, that's always funny. I always enjoy those. Um, and she always, uh, she always, like, decimates Bossoon. Yeah, cause she's super strong. So, like, there's when she pushes someone, they they call it like the coma cannon, yeah, because the force of it is just so powerful. So there's some good gags with that, especially when they introduced uh, that little pervert guy later on. Oh my god, What's his name? I don't know. Um, um, I think his name is Sakura or Sakuraba. Sakura, so one of the two. Yeah, they introduced that kid. It takes an interest in her, and and one chapter, like they go to her house, and he's like super, like being pervy. And, uh, weird and like Boston's like trying to not set coma off because she's like super shy and sensitive to like all the stuff he's saying. Oh, and all of her family are giants. 
Yeah. <laughs> and all of her, all of her family are giants. Like they're all super big. And eventually, uh, you know, boss, I think Boston's the one who messes up and like he gets blasted out by all three of them. And it's like really funny. Oh yeah, yeah. Sakura. I don't know how I feel about him. Some sometimes I think I didn't really I like. Know. I didn't like him that. Much. I mean, that's totally it's, understandable. Kind of funny because he is funny a lot of the time because of just how unapologetically pervy he is. Like, I I, I really found it funny that one arc where like the, he this girl. He was trying to confess to this girl or whatever, but like he, he intentionally like just messes it up by revealing his true pervy nature and scares the girl off. And then he's like with his buddies, he, they's like, yeah, uh, perverts for life or something. It's just, that was like a funny reversal because he took it seriously all the way up until like the part where he revealed how he, who, what, what he was really like to that girl. Like he was dating, Taking like the confession seriously, so it's like really, it was it was really funny like uh, turn around there because you think he's gonna change and he doesn't, but he just kind of like f- fizzles out of the series uh, at some point too. Like he's he has a lot of uh, stories for a while, but then like towards the end of the series, I don't think he appears that much. Like I don't remember him doing anything in the final arc at all. No, he wasn't really that important of a character. Um, my yeah. favorite moment with him is, uh, where him and his, like, him and his club, uh, eventually join, uh, Boston and his friends at the beach, uh, during when, uh, he accidentally drinks, uh, Chuma's, uh, invisibility potion. And so they decide to use it for pervy things. Um, I, I think the thing with the potion is, like, it works as long as you don't move your body. Oh, yeah, the invis- yeah, that one was a good chapter. So, like, they- if you stay still, like, you're invisible. So, like, they- they get into a situation where, like, they can, like, be super close to someone without them noticing so that they can, you know, peek at them in, uh, you know, bad places. So, that was really funny, like, how the ways they exploited that. And then the Michael Jackson kind of that, yeah, that's there. that's always going to be like one of the most amazing out of context panels in any manga I will ever see. <laughs> yeah, and another good arc of his was like when Subaki was trying to shut down like his pervert club. I forget what they were officially called. the The Gesu Club. The Gesu, yeah, the Gesu. That was that was what they called it. So he, he was, Subaki was trying to shut down the Gesu Club because he didn't see a point to it. So like Sakura had to try and pretend. Like, uh, that the club was, like, about something other than it was about. It was trying to mask its perfect nature. And they did such a bad job at it. But ultimately, somehow, it ended up working out. So, so that was a funny chapter, too. Uh, so he's, so he's a funny character. He's just not, as a character, he's just not necessarily like uh, Personally, I just, sometimes I think his, his shtick is funny, but other times I, it gets kind of old. Yeah. So, like, I don't always think he's funny. He runs into this problem when he's first introduced that he gets a lot of storylines in close proximity to each other, but he's a character that works best when you go for a while without seeing him, and then he comes back and does something funny. I think Roman is the same way. I think it's actually good that her chapters are sp- as sporadic as they are, because I, if she, like, she was in every chapter that might, you know, get tiresome after a while, but because she comes in, uh, every once in a while, like, they're always, like, refresh and funny, and I enjoy them a lot. Yeah, I guess that's a good thing about the characters for the series is that, yeah, some of them sort of get the shaft for a while, but also on the same token, like, 
they don't get overused, which I think is good. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, Roman and uh, Sakura, I I do remember at one point there's a there's a chapter where like uh, both Basun and Himiko make a bet with each other to go to see how long they can go without uh, commenting on each other's like actions and stuff. Basically, <laughs> to, like they, they ban Sukumi from the club room, and there's just the, there's just a moment where Switch literally brings Roman and, and uh, Sakura together, and uh, that ultimately breaks them. <laughs> And oh, that, that was, that's pretty. That that's really pretty amazing. <laughs> like they 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 sort of form this like uh, kind of camaraderie with each other to the point where like Roman comes out of nowhere to high five Sakura <laughs> at one point out of nowhere, and I I love stupid moments like that. Yeah, it was really funny seeing those two characters together and see them like befriend each other because they're both super weird, but they're on the same wavelength of their weirdness. <laughs> It's 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 amazing. Um, so, do you have any characters that you don't like? Because I actually I actually have a few personally. Okay, the only character that I ab- that I really did not care for like ever is Yabasawa because yeah, her joke is just that she uh, is the butt of a joke for being like sometimes for just being fat or like uh, stupid, and then or also she says, "Oh, awful." You know, like, Yabai, because her name's Yabai Sawa, you know, so that's the joke. Yeah, that's, that, she's a very one-note character. Yes. Probably, probably the most one-note out of the series, aside from, I want to say, Jason. Jason at least has more to his stories. Like, Yabasawa is, like, just, uh, is a character that appears a lot because she, because she is so one-note that it's so easy to make a joke with her. Yeah. But like Jason will actually at least have chapters to him and has actually has like a like his own like recurring subplot that they do with him. Like he's trying to find like a marriage partner, but he just scares them off because like he's the scary guy, you know. So at least like there's more they can do with the, his character than they can do with Yabasawa. That's true, but like I'm I'm so conflicted because like I love the concept of Jason. Uh, because he, because he, he's the woodshop teacher, and yeah. that's the joke. That's the joke is that he looks like Jason Voorhees and uh, is always constantly carrying a chainsaw. But like, I don't know. So I guess I like the concept of the character more than I like it. Because, like, you know, one or two chapters, I think he could be funny. But like, I don't know. I got kind of tired of his subplot kind of quickly. But that's just me personally. Yeah, that may not be one of my favorite characters, but. I didn't. I guess like, he's not a bad one. Yeah, I, he's not one of those characters like I dislike because there's nothing about the character themselves I dislike. But Yabaisawa, it's not like she was really that nice a person ever either. You know? I mean, she. I mean, she's not a bad person, but she's she's. It's not like she has she has a whole lot of like redeeming aspects to her character that make her compelling. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Yabasawa, like she's probably like the real. It, like, if you really take a look at Sket Dance, it, like, if there are any flaws to the series, which there are, I'm not gonna say there aren't, but, uh, Yabasao, I feel like, is definitely a blemish on the series, just because she's, she's there to be the butt of the joke and nothing else, and that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. But, but thankfully, she's not around super often, so, like, you don't have to deal with her too often. Um, but I guess, um, I guess speaking of flaws, um, so, I feel like it's important to talk about how, like, you know, as as funny as we think Sket Dance can be, 
the, the comedy in Skep Dance is very hit or, hit or miss, and I feel like that's also another reason why people have such a hard time getting into the series, because not every chapter is funny. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some people definitely say that they couldn't get into the humor of the series. Like, I recently uh, watched DigiBro's review of Astralis in Space, and he is not a fan of uh, Shinohara's comedy. Which which is which is totally fair. Like I did just recently watch that video, and we'll talk more about Astro Lost in Space next episode, definitely. But he he brings up uh, he brings up how like you know Astro Lost in Space in particular is very dialogue heavy, which is also the same for Skep Dance. That's probably one of the main criticisms I'd agree with is that there is a lot of dialogue, and sometimes there's so much and. It's just really hard to read because it's so text dense. And this is especially a problem I had with Yamanobe chapters when he's explaining the game because there's just so much explaining of what the game is and like it's, it gets complicated at times and, uh, it's, it just loses me for a while until they get to like seeing how they play the game, which is then funny, but like, the explanation of the games in particular is just really long. And there are also other, like, really long dialogue scenes that, like, stretch on that are supposed to be funny because, in part, because they are so long and those don't always click with me. And I feel with, like, this with Gintama at times, too, is that because it is so wordy at points, like, it's funnier to hear it said in the anime than it is to necessarily read it. Because you can kind of, you kind of absorb it better when you hear like someone performing this dialogue than trying to read it yourself. Yeah, G- Gintama definitely has that problem in the beginning of its run, like at least for like the first, like I want to say probably three years of serialization, at least that, that's as far as I've read, I think, I'm sure. I mean, obviously nowadays, Sirachi is so much better at like, not just using text all the time to convey uh, convey the story or the characters but definitely when he first started like man it's sometimes it is hard to get through a chapter of Gintama because there's just so much to read and I feel like I, I did have that problem with Skep Dance as well because you know obviously I I reread this entire thing so I could talk about it today and there were definitely some chapters like in my in my attempt to try to get through the series as fast as I could there were just some chapters where, like, I kind of skimmed through and kind just kind of skipped because I, like, I could tell which chapters were either not important or weren't really, like, weren't really worth, like, revisiting. Because there there are just, like I said, there are just some chapters that, you know, not everyone's going to find funny. And it, it's get dance for a while. Um, I mean, I forget where I heard this, so I wish I could, like, source this better. But I remember hearing that, like... It was because of how hit and miss Skep Dance was with its comedy that it was on the verge of like cancellation for a while. And basically, Switch's first backstory arc was basically the thing that saved it. So, mm-hmm. and that didn't come in for like an, until about a year into Skep Dance, like a year into its uh, run and jump. So, yeah. But as hit and miss as Skep Dance can be, I still feel like it has a lot going for it, thankfully. You know, it, it like, because it can still be funny and thankfully. Uh, the the characters and the emotional catharsis of a lot of different points in the story, I feel like, really save it from, um, really save it from those flaws. I agree. I mean, what keeps me coming back to Sket Dance and what keeps me thinking about it is like the characters and their stories and their development, and I think that's like the driving force, like what keeps you reading Sket Dance, and also what keeps the characters like funny or like what gives you that attachment 
to like want to see what adventures they get up to. I think definitely if there wasn't that grounding, that like emotional core of Skit Dance, a lot of the more silly or out there comedy chapters wouldn't have as much effect as they do because the characters are so well defined. Yeah, the, the the characters really are like I think the draw for Skit Dance for me personally. I think Chinahara does a great job of making all his characters be more than their archetypes. Yabasawa aside, I think every character, you know, they're introduced with, like, maybe their gimmick at the beginning, but you learn more about them as the story goes on. And they either change out of what they were initially, or, like, they have more layers to who they are outside of, like, one thing. I think Saya is a great example of Shinohara taking a character archetype and really playing with it to develop a really interesting character. Because Saya's thing is she introduced as that she's a tsundere. She's self-aware of being a tsundere and her she's going to the sket dance to ask for their help in growing out of that. And over the course of many chapters, she does. She grows out of being a tsundere and she even works up the courage to confess to Basun pretty early on in the series' run and then also gets over her feelings when she's like kind of uh, not necessarily rejected, but like let down gently. And so she has a great character arc. Like she definitely transforms from who she was at the beginning of her story to where she is at the end. And that's what I can say about a lot of the other characters as well. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to get flack from somebody for saying this, but I honestly do believe that Saya is probably the one Sundere character I've ever actually liked. Sans maybe like, and I mean, I haven't, I haven't finished the series yet, but from what I've seen of like Toradora, I think Taiga is really the only other Sundere character I've ever actually been interested in. Some like a character of that archetype that I actually enjoy. Yeah, I, I think Shinohara does, a, like you said, does a really great job of playing with that archetype and actually making her more than just an archetype. Like she still feels like a person. Yeah, she feel she feels like a person trying to get over her, um, uh, get over whatever. Uh, social disorders that she is uh, I mean her thing is really she has a hard time being honest about her feelings so she reacts to people in this very like dismissive kind of uh standoffish way so they put the term student array in there as like this meta reference to like the anime archetype but like really in story she's trying to get over like an actual like social disorder you can believe like someone might have and like being that kind of standoffish because they're insecure about saying their mind or like admitting their feelings so it works really well and she like get she does develop out of it and i think you know that speaks to the strength of Shinohara's character writing. And that's another thing too with her uh with her confessing her feelings to Basun is that like she does it and and that's it. Like there's no real like drama afterwards like well, after she does it like there's still, you know, she still has feelings for him so there's still like misunderstandings with, you know, uh her Agata and stuff. Like cuz she well, confesses yeah, but before. all I meant was that oh, well all I uh, what I was trying to say was she feels fulfilled in a way. Now that she has actually confessed her feelings to Basun. Yeah, the characters are aware, like, Basun is aware of, like, her feelings because she confessed. So, you know, they ultimately, you know, he doesn't, you know, 
he and Saya don't end up getting in a relationship, but, like, the characters aren't, like, in the dark about how they feel towards one another for, like, the entire series. They get it out of the way pretty early on. She doesn't have that weight on her shoulders anymore. She doesn't feel that pressure to try and, like, talk to Basu in a certain way or try to make a move on him or whatever. Yeah. So there aren't, like, those kind of hijinks that happen. Yeah, which I really, I really appreciate. Basun and Himiko have a pr- trouble admitting their feelings towards each other. I mean, Himiko in particular, but it's not like they aren't s- self-aware of them. I think Basun is pretty aware of like how Himiko feels, but he's not like ready to like reciprocate. So like w- that's kind of how I like read like he he also might just be a little oblivious, but I kind of feel like definitely in that like arc when they were having the conversation about you know Saya's feelings, and then also Himiko asked Wasim what he thinks of her. Like he does think about it. Like he's not completely oblivious to like how Himiko feels about it. I personally feel like he just doesn't fully understand like how he feels about Himiko sometimes. Like the moment that really stands out to me is during the Trouble Travel arc, where they go to Okinawa, and they end up having to deal with the Yakuza, uh, and they're all eventually kidnapped and assaulted or whatnot, and Boston has to go rescue Himiko, which is really awesome, by the way. Um, I remember when that chapter had just premiered in Jump, and I saw, like, I saw Roz of it floating around online, I'm like, man, I hope we get to that soon in the <laughs> anime, and then that never happened. Um, yeah. But, um... There's a there's a great moment where Himiko hugs Basun, and Basun's about to hug her back, and then he like kind of hesitates, like he has to like think about it. Like I've always, I've never really known how to like read that scene, so that scene has always been very interesting to me. Yeah, they definitely don't think Basun's a romantic. I definitely think he's just having problems like understanding what it means to like love not a person romantically. Yeah, so. I've always thought that side of it was kind of interesting, because um, so, it's it's not it's not presented as very straightforward. Like he 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 doesn't understand those types of feelings. Yeah, I feel the only other characters that weren't addressing are the Pocket Dan, uh, Tact, Silk, and Smile. They get introduced uh, late into the series run, and they're like a counter group to Sket Dan at the beginning. Like they're trying to replace Sket Dan because they can do it better because they're smarter and more efficient. But eventually they realize that they're still lacking because like the Sket Dan has more like, uh, it takes more time to understand what someone, someone else's problem is and like d- yeah. goes farther in terms of like empathy and like trying than they do. So they learn that they have a lot to learn from Skit Dance, even though, like, in terms of skills, they might be better. At least Tact thinks he's way smarter. And eventually they get humbled. Uh, Tact, in particular, gets humbled a bit and eventually decides to, they decide to become the new Skit Dan after, you know, the current Skit Dan graduates. So that was decent dark for them. Uh, they're not, oh, aside from tact, I guess Silk and Smile don't really have much to them. Smile in particular. I mean, Silk, it was really funny when, uh, Boston, like, learned magic from her. That was a good funny chapter. And then afterwards, they call, like, call her Master or something. So, uh, so that was kind of fun. But they're just worth addressing because they are, like, major characters that thematically are relevant to, like, the series' theme of, like, helping other people and, like, passing on the torch like you help someone and then they help someone so they're good in that respect 
I guess, are, are there any other, like, one-off chapters or arcs we really want to highlight, or do we just want to get into the final arc? As far as, like, a one-off funny chapter that I, like, really liked, it's, like, they do this parody, uh, fantasy world chapter, like, in the middle of the series, where, like, they go, all the characters get, like, these really useless and lame powers to go on this dragon quest-esque journey and whatever yeah. and the, and the chapter ends on an anticlimax like where they like they don't resolve like them defeating like the demon king or whatever you know they, they just set off on their journey by the time the chapter ends after like trying to figure out who will get what power and like who gets the better power because there's so many useless powers and uh Bossum becomes a slime and so like it takes like year two years of serialization but then they finally do a sequel chapter to that and it just like ex- explores like how everyone has gotten used to their powers and leveled up but Bossoon because he's a slime like he was like a weakling so they kind of kicked him out and so Bossoon decided to get re- like revenge and he became like he's trained himself up to be the best slime and become super strong <laughs> as a slime and then uh he rejoins the group and like he was he's gonna like mess them up but like then he's like oh yeah we we knew that you would become super strong if we left you on your own and then he's like oh and then they go to they all rejoin again to go fight the demon king we still don't get a resolution to that but just find that entire chapter where Bossoon has to become like the strongest slime really funny it's like the premise of this light novel series reincarnation as a slime uh done years before and one chapter well as long as we're talking about like AU chapters or whatever. Um, I really like the one where they're all ninjas, um, m- mostly because uh, Switch just has a computer made out of wood and they call him out on it, and it's the most amazing thing. Um, <laughs> and also they have to they have to save like Roman, who's like a princess or whatever. And there's a great moment where like um, they all look to the sky and they see Roman's image in the sky, and Roman is like, "Oh hey, I can get out of here through here." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like that one a lot. Um the A the AU chapters uh that Shinahara does are usually you know, they're they're fun. Mm-hmm. And those are usually good for a laugh or two. What was it? I mentioned the Christmas card arc. That's one of my favorites. I like I like reading that one around Christmas time. because uh, it's just a, such a nice emotional story. Um Oh, you know what? We haven't talked about Yuki at all. Oh, the occult girl. Yeah, she has a good rivalry with Switch. And there's some sweet moments. Like, very early on, there's this chapter where, like, she cleans herself up to look kind of pretty. Like, just to prove this point to some guy who, like, was dissing on her. And uh, then Switch has this great conversation where Yuki's like, you know, I'm so weird. and But Switch is like, you know, if you're weird, then I'm, like, very weird or whatever. So, like, he's trying to, like, give her, you know, his confidence to be, like, uh, content with who she is because she's you know, like a cool person still. Yeah, kind of make her feel better about herself. And they have a good rivalry because, you know, Switch believes in science, Yuki believes in the cult, so they butt heads a lot. And those chapters are really fun. But they're also like, you know, they end up hanging out with each other a lot too. Even though Switch like says, oh, I hate this girl so much. <laughs> Even in his <laughs> final uh, speech, he's like, People, uh, she he calls her out as someone who he she's not friends with, or like he he doesn't like hanging around. 
which is really really funny. Maybe 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 Switch is the actual Sundere all along. Yeah, at least around her, he she he is. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I I I like chapters with the both of them too because they they end up they mostly switch, but they do end up going out of their way to try to help each other out every once in a while. Yeah. So so they're they're kind they're pretty much frenemies, and it's kind of cute. Uh-huh. Um, man, what else? Uh, the the Sukomi band chapter was really good. I like the one with the really macho '80s manga style character that comes in. That was kind of fun. My favorite Roman chapter is probably the one where she has that manga battle with the shonen guy, uh, and it's like <laughs> he draws like this super typical like. A hot-blooded shonen manga. And then she draws this super weird thing. And she wins because, you know, even though her manga was incomprehensible, like, it was the most interesting thing to read. And so that was, like, a fun chapter. I like chapters that kind of end in a dumb punchline, like um, like the Detective Club guy, where uh, it's the Sket Dan and they're following this one chick. Um, and then the detective, there, there's this guy from the detective club who like is really into like cop dramas and stuff, um, and ha- tries to help help them, but like he constantly gets in the way, and it turns out that like it's just like this this pattern of like everybody trying to follow each other. <laughs> that <laughs> the punchline for that's really good. Um, I like the one where um, Bossun and Switch they they take a bunch of pictures of like the sports festival that happened while Himiko was sick. And they just show her what happened with a bunch of pictures, and that gets really weird because like Mario and Lu- uh, and, and uh, Luigi are involved for some reason, and uh, <laughs> and uh, everybody makes like these uh, human pyramids, and they all get like lifted off into the into the heavens. And a lot of really <laughs> weird shit happens in that one. Um, so that's that one's pretty funny too. Um, oh yeah, um, I forgot one of my one of my other favorite ones. Uh, that ends in a um, that kind of ends in like a color page is um, is the one where Captain has a fight with her friend over uh, over like fruit drops. Um, that w- that one was kind of good because I especially really liked because uh, like I said that chapter ends in a color page of like uh, of the skate dance uh, letting go all these balloons and whatnot, uh, which yeah. which I f- I forget exactly why, but it's supposed to be like a sentimental kind of thing. So that one's kind of nice. That was a great use of color pages. Like, a lot yeah. of the times when a series gets the color pages, you know, they'll use it to make, like, this spread or whatever that doesn't have to do with the chapter, but it's just a really cool image. But I liked how Shinohara incorporated his color pages into the plot of that chapter. And, like, it ended up making, like, this huge emotional impact. That was just really, really good use of them. Yeah, that was that was really good. I wasn't expecting that first time I read that. But I guess, um, I guess let's talk about the final arc. So, in the final arc, like, the Sket Dance has basically handed over the reins to the Pakadan to take over. And they're all just preparing for their final, like, school festival and graduation. But a new, uh, chairman of the school comes in to replace the old one because, uh, he was, like, in failing health or whatever. So he had to step down. So the, his son comes in. To take over. And he's like, okay, this school is too lax. It's, it needs to be stricter. You need to be more focused on education. We're going to separate girls and boys. We're going to make sure that in break time, you only prepare for the next class. 
Like, he basically restricts everyone's freedom to do things. And it's all in the name of curbing individuality and preventing people from, like, standing out. So that they can only focus on their studies and nothing else. And so the step dance... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I feel like that's a very, like... I don't know. I don't know if this is uh, like a hot take, but I feel like that's a very like that's a very old like Japanese mindset. Like you know, yeah, because because usually you know mo- most people like especially like in high schools and stuff. Like the reason they have clubs is that you know they they kind of encourage people to like work with the group and not so much like you know not not so much do a lot of things like by yourself or whatnot. Like people being against like individualism isn't really like a new thing. So I I found that kind of interesting. Because obviously, like, the the thing with this guy coming into Kaime and trying to make all these rules is that, like, it, I think it's worth noting that Kaime as a school is very, um, uh, at least from what I've seen in, like, other anime and other manga. And, I, like, I know people who have, like, taught in other Japanese high schools and stuff that, like, like you could tell from, like, little details such as, like, people not wearing, like, a, like, a, like a typical school uniform. Like, because all the characters, like pretty much wear, like, their own clothes, and they all have their own, like, unique outfits and stuff. Like, that's yeah. not, that's not, like, a typical Japanese high school thing, because everybody usually has to wear, like, a required uniform and I mean, and they kind of all have a base uniform, but some characters choose not to wear the uniform. Like, Shinzo, he wears his, like, robes and stuff. Like, I either, either they do have a uniform, or, like, they have some kind of variation on it. So like they don't like none of the characters all look the same in terms of that, which is which is cool. They're allowed to you know accessorize and adjust their uniforms to like stand out. Yeah, and so like you know I I found that kind of interesting that we basically have like kind kind of the kind of the typical mindset invading a campus life here at the school. I thought was kind of interesting. Also like nuance is like. No, because he goes on about, like, how he's going to change his school, but it's not until, like, the very end that, like, he decides to, like, you know, introduce himself by name. Like, that's an afterthought with him. Yeah, like, he's focused on, like, doing the job first and then, like, pleasantries later. So he has a very different approach. He's not a friendly guy. He's like, okay, you are paying the school to learn. So if you want to come here, you better get the most out of it. And so there's no time for frivolities or wasting time. It's time to be efficient and produce, like, good students who will become good workers. And so that's his, like, objective. Good test scores and all yeah. that. Yeah, like, like being a friendly, like, person and actually getting to know any of his students, like, like I feel like that little, like, touch is a, is very telling of his character. Yeah. Anyway, his goal of stamping out individuality is, like, a great, like, final obstacle for the series because that's, like, counter to what the series is about. Like, the series is about, like, embracing your individual strengths and using them to help others around you. So, that's what Basun is trying to argue is that everyone's individual strengths can come together and produce something really great. And so what he does is that he decides to use the school festival to put on this event that will show off how everyone's individual strengths can produce something that they couldn't do if alone. Like how people come together can create some really great things because they all have different ideas and different strengths. And so he, the guy like allows it 
and says, okay, you can prove this to me. If you fail, you're, you're fired. Basically, you're going to get expelled. I like how he puts it in those terms. It shows like his priorities. He's running this like a business. Yeah, so eventually, I forget what the term for the event that they eventually figure out to do is. But what it is, is like, it's basically this interactive event where they can take you know, uh, pe- where people can like pair up and like do all these like quests in, uh, in, in this like, uh, scenario. So it's like this really cool elaborate story and like every like main member of the class that they're all in is 3E, I think is what is their final year class. So every member of that class gets to like have a role that plays to like who they are and they all do it really well. And so the goal is to make the new chairman's son speak because his son refuses to speak because of being bullied in middle school. And that's like the motivation for the chairman is because he thinks that because his son was too much of an individual. He was bullied, so he wants to create an environment where no one will be bullied because everyone will be treated the same and will have to act the same way. And so that's really interesting motivation because obviously the fact that this kid Yuki will not speak, you know, hits home with Switch. And so Switch tries to figure, uh, like they all try to figure out like why this kid won't speak. But it's, it turns out not to be as, as simple as like he's afraid of speaking because he was bullied. It turns to be a deeper reason. And the fact that Boston can figure out also really just shines a light of like how good his empathetic skills and his ability to understand other people are and i really uh, applaud the resolution of that i was like anticipating something like this because i saw long back when it was revealed in astro lost in space that luca was intersex that you had tweeted colton that shinohara was really good at depicting and treating transgender or a non binary gendered characters respectfully so i was waiting to see that in sket dance for most of the reading and so i was like very pleasantly uh surprised with how he handled yuki because it turns out the reason yuki doesn't speak is because yuki is a transgender boy and as a in middle school he was bullied for being tra- uh, transgender and what's great about the conversation when this is revealed is that, of course, we get, like, uh, some character explaining, oh, he was really a girl, but, like, both the chairman and Bossoon continue to f- refer to Yuki as a he because he is a he. So very respectful treatment of the character's gender there and usage of the pronouns. I mean, maybe that's something that was in... It's hard to... Because I didn't read the original Japanese, obviously. I don't know like what she, pronouns Shinohara used, but at least... I think if the translation is accurate, it was very respectful. Yeah, and and see that's a that's a thing too. I really love about this final arc is that Shinohara. I really do think is probably as far as like this sort of representation goes. I feel like he is the most respectful out of pretty much anyone. I think that has worked in Jump as far as I know. Because like you usually with with this kind of thing in manga, like whenever you have a non-binary character. You know, it's it's usually played not, not I don't want to say played for laughs, but like it's they're usually a stereotype. Like even even characters we love, like you know Bon Clay from One Piece, like he's a great character, 
but you know he is still sort of a stereotype along with him and like Ivan Kov and um, and Inazuma. There's unfortunately for as great characters as Bonkley and Ivan Kov are, there's unfortunately a lot of homophobic elements in One Piece too, with like that whole yeah. subplot with Sanji on the Kamabaka Kingdom, and that was very unfortunate. And even going back to like Gintama, like you know. I love Saigo. He's probably one of my favorite uh, minor characters. He's 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 a badass. He will he literally rips off your genitalia. Like <laughs> I I don't think you get any more awesome than that. He will actually rip your balls off, and that's great. But um, you know, unfortunately, like he's a great character, but unfortunately, a lot of the people that work in his uh that work in his Okama bar are very uh, are unfortunately subjected to uh somewhat homophobic humor. Not. Super often, thankfully, but it is still kind of there. Yeah, but Chinohara treats the situation very respectfully and is demonstrated through how the characters who really understand uh, Yuki are treating him, like referring to him as a he and as a boy, which is very good. And just the resolution of that in general, very much ties into Sketenza's overall message of it's oh, it's good to be yourself. You shouldn't be afraid of being yourself or standing out because you are you and you have a lot to offer the world and you shouldn't be afraid and you shouldn't wall yourself off from the world because there are people out there who are ready to meet and engage with you and befriend you. And so like that ultimately opens Yuki's eyes like this experience like having fun in this event at the school festival and like he like tells his dad that yeah I want to go to this kaime I want to go into this very inclusive friendly place you know yeah like I, I want to be able to I want to be able to have fun at school I want to be able to make friends I want to have that chance and, yeah yeah I love that about the final arc where you know Shinohara uses all of these like gimmicky wacky characters as sort of a um, as sort of an allegory for accepting yourself and being yourself and like you said not being afraid to to be yourself with other people which honestly is pretty amazing yeah well also one last touch to how uh, Stunohara respectfully handled Yuki's character when a bossman is asking Yuki about his gender, he asks, you're a boy, aren't you? He doesn't say, you were born a girl. He asks, you are a boy, because that is how Yuki feels. So again, just very respectful handling of that. That very much impressed me. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, this Yuki's entire conflict and him trying to break out of his shell pretty much inspires Switch to do the same, which in my mind is really like the ultimate ending of Sket Dance. Like, that's kind of, like, I, I won't say that, like, I don't care about the rest of Sket Dance after that, because the ending, I, I think, overall is is good, even if I'm still kind of like, man, it's a little open-ended. I hope we get, like, an epilogue chapter or something someday, because I feel like uh, we, we got to see a few characters and what they were doing after they graduate, but I would have loved to see everybody if Shinohara could have helped it. Um I was pretty satisfied just with what we got from the main trio, though. Like, yeah. the climax of the manga is Switch finally deciding to speak again. And the f first thing he says is that, I'm proud of you guys. And it's so emotional. And they all they all hug each other. And then they start crying and laughing. And it's just great. And then, ultimately, Switch is the one to give the graduation speech. And he explains, like, how, how important his time there was and how grateful he is for all the friends he made. And it's just such a good speech. 
Uh, so I was very happy with his resolution. And then Boston goes out with like Ryan, who he met in this like one off chapter about bicycling, which was really funny that he brought, that Shinohara brought that character back. So he goes off to America to like travel the world doing good with Ryan. And then, uh, Himiko becomes a teacher. So it's really good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, ultimately, I can't say this about too many other manga. Because most manga I read, either I don't care for the ending, I don't like it, or it doesn't really stick with me. And Sket Dance's ending, I think, is, for the most part, it's pretty good. Like, I, again, as much as I would like to see what all the other characters are up to, I'm still very satisfied with the ending. Again, pretty pretty much, I'm, I don't want to say I'm here for Switch, because that implies, like, I don't care about anything <laughs> else. But, like, I am kind of here for Switch, and that's that was what I was the most invested in, was when when is he going to speak again? And that was resolved, and as long as that's resolved, I'm pretty much happy with anything Shinohara gives me. Yeah, Sket Dance was a manga that ended naturally, like the way it wanted to. It had a very well-taught-out and well-paced final arc that like felt right and appropriate as a way to end the series. Yeah. And I was pretty satisfied with where all the main characters ended up with in terms of their character arcs. I definitely think it's one of the most satisfying endings I read for a Shonen Jump manga, because like up until the ending there wasn't really a dipping point and it didn't lose focus and like stayed on track right up to the end i felt yeah i mean there's a lot of great endings to shonen jump manga but definitely one of the problems a lot of long-running manga just in general have is that the longer they go on the more they lose focus of where the ending should be because they go on past where they might have originally intended to end. So by the time they get to the ending, it just doesn't feel right. But Sket Dances felt right. It felt like this was the natural conclusion of the story. There isn't anything missing that we needed to see. Yeah, ultimately, I'm happy with Sket Dances ending. And I I don't think it could really have a better ending, honestly. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. And yeah, like... <laughs> I mean, we just spent like two hours talking about it, but I mean, there's a reason I, I love, I have many reasons why I love Skep Dance so much, and the final arc really like cements it for me. Yeah, to be honest, as much as we talked about it, there's just so much more we could get into. Like, we mentioned how great Switch's character arc is, but we have not really spoiled or like delved actually deep into all the specifics of it. But I think it is like an arc that is best left experiencing for yourself without as much spoilers as possible. Because I was definitely surprised by the, you know, switch on arc, like the second switch backstory arc, because I I did not know anything about it. So I think it's worth keeping a lot of that stuff under wraps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, that. I was saying that earlier, like, it's just gonna be me two hours of me going, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. But like, there is a reason why I, I don't like delving. Like you said, I don't, I don't like delving into too many specifics, because I want people to experience that for their own. I don't like I just I hate to give away too much about the series, because I really do think the the experience, it's really something you have to experience for yourself. And yeah, that and that's why it that's why it saddens me so much when sometimes when I talk to people and I'm like, yes, yeah, Dance is pretty good. You should check it out. And then they're like, oh, I've, I've tried it. It's, it's not really that funny. Now, Gintama, that, that's a funny series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just important to remember that that 
Like, comedy is not all there is to Sket fans. I think the message behind it, that you should do your best to help people make use of your individual strengths to uh, be the best person you can be and to help the most people you can, and then you should inspire others to do the same. I think that message is what's really compelling about Sket Dance and the way it explores it through many different characters with many different but relatable and sympathetic and empathetic problems. I think that's really the core draw, what's really the heart of the series, and that is what informs all the humor surrounding it, which is very funny, but I think actually what is the most laudable part of Sket Dance is really its characters and its teams. Hell, I mean, like, um, I guess shout out to uh, Bomber or uh, uh, Kiribana on Twitter, Sakaki, the the guy with 15 different names on, on the internet. Um, I've had him on the show before, good friend of the show. Um, he recently translated a, uh, in, in like a radio interview, uh, that he found online recently with Shinohara. I think, I forget exactly what it is, but like he's, he's translated like, those like like radio interviews from that particular program before like because he's he's translated like radio interviews with like Tite Kubo of all people and whatnot um, on that same show, but um, this particular show had Shinohara on just recently, you know, interviewing him about him as a manga artist and whatnot. And uh, I could be remembering this wrong, but I think Bomber at some point mentioned how Shinohara. Uh, talks about how he doesn't consider Sket Dance a gag manga, which I think is which I think is really interesting because like Sirachi kind of has that same mindset about Gintama. Like he doesn't consider it a gag manga. He Sirachi, in his own words, considers Gintama in particular in a nonsense manga, just something he can just kind of do whatever he wants with, and that's and that's totally uh, that's totally true. And uh, it's so interesting to see these series that like. Again, like we keep mentioning, like people just think they're just all always comedy and nothing else. They have nothing else to offer. When the people that have behind these works have said themselves, like, no, I don't really think of, I don't really think of this thing as a comedy manga. It's that's not really how I think about it. Like, it's just really interesting to see that contrast between the fans and the people behind these works. I do think of Sket Dance as a comedy, but I take issue when people refer to series like Sket Dance and Gintama as gag manga. Because gag series are series that are, like, focused on the moment-to-moment, like, joke. And yeah. there's, like, no real... That's not... It's, like, the ultimate, like, kind of post-modern form of comedy. Because there's, like, no grounding for what the comedy is. It's just what you could say, pure randomness or referentiality. But there is grounding for the humor in Sket Dance for a lot of it, because it's informed by the characters and the situations they are in. And it's and it's not, like, non-sequitur, like, gags that come out of nowhere. Like, what I guess really, like, g- gag manga would be stuff like um, Isube Isube, Monokatari, uh... Uh, what we just talked about recently on Manga Mavericks, uh, like a peen, the, uh, the Tomatoy Poodle, like, yeah, you know, Inamari Dashi or whatever that thing's called. Um, uh, you know, just, just, just stuff, stuff like that are actual gag manga, like somewhat, I don't want to say disposable. That's not the right word, but like, I get like, I guess, like you said, mo- very moment to moment, like kind of, kind of joke gag machines, like, yeah, stuff like the Simpsons or Family Guy or whatnot. You know, that are kind of like those. Um, 
But yeah, Gintama and Skepdance, obviously, they deal mostly in comedy, but like, you know, there's there's continuity between both series, and Shinohara and Sirachi go out of the way to really develop these characters and really make them feel like real people that you can kind of get behind and empathize with. Yeah. And that's pretty much the biggest difference between these series and actual gag manga. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I guess, is there anything else we really want to talk about? Man, there is so much that we've talked about already. But like you said, we could probably go on for way longer because there is like just a lot. But I feel like, you know, I have this top 10 like story arc list that I or chapter list that I would want to read off. But like, I feel like we kind of already touched the points for everything I would say. But uh, I guess just to say like what those stories are. I think like in number ten, the Vivid Battle story arc is one of, it was like an early favorite of mine because that was like a really good use of like both the Skatans and the student council's rivalry and there were just a lot of good moments. In particular, I actually really liked Shinzo's battle with Tsubaki and him overcoming yeah. his weakness to use Frisk to fight. And like he's down to only like they're fighting uh in this Kendo battle and like they have to hit like these balls on each other's like uh armors and so like because Shinzo runs out of his frisk like he loses focus and like Tsubaki like gets him down to one ball but like at the last second Shinzo like wills himself to focus and he wins so that was like an early favorite arc but that moment in particular stood out to me and that was why I really liked Shinzo a lot and why I was disappointed that he kind of gets phased out (laughs) in the middle of the manga. The interesting thing about that arc is that that arc it's so close to near the uh, the year serialization point within the series that like I couldn't help but like while I was reading it thinking like if Sket Dance were to end after this arc this would be a decent end to like a canceled manga from Jump. Yeah, I would agree, especially since the impetus for that battle was like the manga that uh, Shinohara Standen made about the student council and then getting them getting frustrated over that. That was kind of funny. And then, uh, so at number nine, I really liked the chapter called Last Day of the President, which is where, like, the student council devises this, like, very complex series of riddles for uh, Gata to solve. Uh, he thinking that his sister has been kidnapped and he's like trying to solve riddles left by kidnappers, but ultimately it's a message from the student council, like saying like, thank you and good luck and stuff. And it was like a really sweet moment. And I'll just also like a good use of that character. So I really like that. Ignoring the fact that they made this guy think that his sister was kidnapped was probably in danger. Yes, I guess this is a sweet moment. It is a That's, sweet moment. I mean, it because- is, but like, I, I, I'm just imagining things from like on the other side. Like this dude, this dude is like really actually worried about his sister. If I were in his situation, like I would appreciate it, but I would also be like, guys. You didn't have to go this far. Like I actually thought my, I, I, I actually thought my sister was killed. What, what are you guys doing? <laughs> At number eight, I have like the Ogress arc, which is Himiko's backstory. And because I really, I do find all the backstories compelling. And Himiko is just like learning like who she was before and like how she got kind of 
betrayed by her friend and lost trust in like making new friends and just became like a loner delinquent. But then she ultimately opens up to Basun and Takahashi and then joins Get Dan. I just thought it was like a good story, like overall. And like, I really liked it a lot. And uh, as, at number seven, we have the follow up to that, the Travel Trouble arc, because I have to say that is like a really brutal arc. Like that is one of the arcs where you feel like the Sket Dan is most in danger because they're going up the Yakuza and like they get brutalized in that arc. Like they get beat up real, real bad. You definitely like fear for them, like uh, for like the situation they're in because they're going up against bad guys and they are hurting them. Uh, and so there's just really great moments from Himiko and that when she's like, going after this guy who's, like, harassing her friend, but then she gets kidnapped, and Boston and Switch have to rescue her, and it's, it's quite the ordeal, but it has a great resolution where Himiko, like, reveals, like, she is the only Himei to her friend at the end, and, like, she doesn't, and her friend is, like, doesn't mind because you know himiko is her friend and like it points out how himiko has built up like this great circle of friends like where she is at kaime now and so it's like a a great character development arc for her and then we have at number six uh happy to meet you which is a chapter where basun invites tobaki home for dinner and, like, they're really uncomfortable, you know, trying to get used to the idea that they're brothers. But it's, like, really sweet how they try. And at the end, they, like, take a picture together, you know, to, like, celebrate the memory of, like, their parents. Because they can never, like, take a picture together as a family before. So it was really, really sweet and emotional chapter. I think Subaki also watches, like, his deceased parents' home movies in that same chapter, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that is. That's another, like, emotional moment. Like, that's the first time Subaki sees those movies of his parents. So that's really, really sweet. Yeah. At number five, I have the switch off, the first switch backstory, because, again, like, reveal that revelation of, like, how, who switch is and, like, why is the way he is it's just so shocking because it fools you at the start into thinking that Switch was someone else at the beginning of that backstory. But then as the story goes on, you reveal who Switch really is and then like how he came to dress the way he is and why he's speaking the way he does through the computer is just like. Yeah, yeah, Switch is, like, goofy, like, kind of otaku, like, I'm talking to a computer, his whole, like, gimmicky personality is basically a lie. And it's, like, bittersweet, because at the end, Switch's, like, childhood friend that he was in love with kind of, like, moves away, and we never, like, see a resolution to that. Like, that's just a connection that is gone at the end, and it's, like, we see, we know from the later arc that, like, it does not get good for Switch until he meets Boston again. So it's like really depressing the way it leaves off. But it's it's a kind of a shame that we never see that girl again. But at the same time, I kind of like that because I kind of like that not all the connections in their past get neatly resolved. Like they, they do have to move on. It's okay because he, he has he has Momoka now. Yeah, he that's really great. You know, I left this off. I ended up taking this off the list, but that's another moment I was considering. Like that moment where... Like, Momoka kind of confesses to Switch, but, like, Switch turns her down because he just claims to be a fan and not dramatically interested in her. And then Momoka kind of goes up on stage and, like, kind of calls Switch out for not being honest about his feelings. And it sings, like, this really relevant and heartfelt song that kind of relates to the situation. Like, I really like the subplot with Switch and Momoka kind of becoming 
involved, even though Squidge refuses to let himself love again because he doesn't think he deserves to until, like, the very end. And it's just... Yeah, it, there's great resolution for that. I, I do like how they get together at the end. I was very happy that it did work out like that. We didn't talk about her much at all, actually, but Momoka is also a very interesting character because she's introduced as like this, as a delinquent much like Himiko, and she's actually impersonating Himiko as the Onihime and unknowingly kidnaps Himiko, who is the real Onihime. And then eventually when the truth is revealed, like she kind of just be- becomes Himiko's best, not like she becomes very reverent of Him- Himiko and like starts hanging around her a bunch. And eventually like she gets noticed for her great, you know, acting abilities and singing voice when they put on the puppet show. And so she becomes a seiyu. And then she gets a bunch of career changes until eventually becomes a singer. So she has, like, a really radical change in terms of, like, who she was at the start of the series and then who she becomes, too. Which kind of just shows, like, there's, like, a, you all, everyone has their own strengths that it just takes being recognized and appreciated by someone to get put on the path to, like, to find, to reach your full potential and, like, make the most out of your abilities to, like, help and bring happiness out of people's lives. So I really like that aspect of her character arc a lot and she has a great relationship with both switch and team Mika. yeah i i don't i think i only didn't mention her because like it because of her career she's not like around at school much or at least she's not on screen a lot of the time yeah i mean she appears a lot during the first year of serialization and then her appearances get more sporadic because you know she's a full-time singer but when she we do see her like she her chapters are meaningful because they're relevant to either switch or himiko's character development and so at number four i have the final arc last dance which we talked about a lot but yeah it's, <sighs> it's incredibly not number satisfying. one sid i'm sid i'm so disappointed that's because the top three arcs like really hit me and like you know i just read <laughs> this last arc yesterday uh, at that's the time that's of this fair. Recording. Yeah. So, <laughs> at number three, we have the happy birthday and happy rebirthday story arc, which is Boston's backstory, learning about him, f- how he found out about what happened to his parents, and like his kind of like lashing out towards his adopted mother when he f- realizes that she she's not his like biological mother, but then coming around and apologizing because yeah, she she is his mother because she raised him and loved him like her own son it's really sweet and then of course it leads into when we flashback in the present boston learning that sabaki is his brother and you know them kind of coming to terms with that and forgiving like their adoptive parents for keeping them in the dark about this secret and then just moving on because they love their families and but also like decided to make an effort to treat each other as family even though it's like so weird that they realized they had this connection that they never knew they had before. So that was just like a, a ch- I, I really know, knew the least about Boston's backstory before I started reading Skat Dance. So this like really hit me hard because mm-hmm. I was most surprised for this. And I also, I also really does inform a lot about what's great about Boston's character and like why he decided to be the way he is. And also, also I just am really drawn to stories about like, family as well and like learning to come together as family so that that yeah. 
So stories about that always hit me. And fun fact about Basun, uh, his birthday, he was born on November 11th, which is the same as my birthday. So I, wow. feel, a, I feel a particular connection to Basun because of that. Although he's he was born in 1992, so he's three years older than me, technically. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't I don't like that Boston is like a year older than me. I I don't I don't that doesn't feel right for me for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then at number two we have the school trip Rhapsody arc, which I just think is like one of the funniest arcs. I love all the things they do with the body switching between Basu and Himiko, and also Sabaki like gets hypnotized into thinking he's a cat, which is also super funny during that arc. And then there's also just great character development, like in terms of. Saya confessing and then Himiko and like Boston having that conversation about like how they feel about each other like I think that was just a great mix of comedy and character development so it really stood out to me and I, I really enjoyed it a lot and then at number one we have Switch On Switch's second backstory which ex- explains how Switch joins Get Dan and that's a really involved story and it's actually like really really cool Again, there's another big twist about Switch in this chapter that you don't really expect, like, at the, at the start, but then as it goes on, it's, like, hits you and you're like, oh, crap, so Switch was really doing this all this time, and then when it concludes with, like, Basun breaking into Switch's window to, like, drag him out and, like, and get him to come out of his room, and, like, they, like, fight each other in the room until, like, they ultimately, like, notice, like, some teeth outside who steal something, and so they team up to, like, stop this guy, and then afterwards, like, they make up, and, like, Boston invites Switch to join the Skedman, so that, that was just, like, a really great story as well. Uh, I mean, I think that's, like, the strongest uh, story in the manga, because it's, like, the culmination of that mystery behind Switch, and his development, of course, is resolved in the final arc, but, like, that revelation about, like, how he joins Get Dan is, you know, just really incredible. And, like, if the first a Switch backstory, like, contextualized what he did in, like, a new light that you can't go back and revisit without thinking about, like, this one all does that even doubly so. Because of what Switch is, what other things Switch is feeling guilty to what and how, why he's truly indebted for Bossoon for saving him. So yeah, those are my top ten favorite storylines in the in the series. Yeah, a lot of a lot of those are pretty much my favorite too. So I think we're mostly in agreement. But yeah, we've been talking for a long time. Should we wrap up, or is there any final things we well, have to say? Well, um, we we do have some stuff from uh, from oh, our, that's from right. Our we have an email from Allison. She writes, "Hello, Manga Mavericks. It's me, Out Nine Hundred here." I heard of Sket Dance because when I was bitching Gintama, there was an episode where the characters of Sket Dance crossed over into it. I watched the anime on Crunchyroll and read the manga afterwards. Sucks how it isn't in English legally. My favorite character in the series is Basun, he's a fun dude. My favorite arc in Sket Dance is the arc where Switch's character story gets concluded. I was always fascinated by him because he was the most mysterious character. I forget what the arc is called because it's been a few years since the last read Sket Dance. The arc is called Switch off let's don't switch on which is my favorite i i know i i got i kept getting those confused earlier too (laughs) yeah she concludes by saying i like the series overall it's a good comedy series that isn't too pun heavy like osamatsu and gintama i look forward to hearing your thoughts on this manga and anime thank you allison i not sure that uh skitans is 
less pun heavy than Ozumatsu Gintama. But as we talked about before, there is a lot of different humor in the series compared to those series. I was going to say, I don't think Sket Dance is completely clean of any uh, puns or whatever. I mean, there's plenty of puns. Yabasawa's name is a pun, for heaven's sake. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully Sket Dance can, like, be licensed one day. That'd be great. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I am sending in my Seven Seas uh, surveys because I don't know if I don't know if Viz will ever actually pick it up. So I mean, there are some people in the corner to support Skit Dance getting licensed at Wiz, but of course, because it's such a long series, it's still a tough sell. Even if Astra, you know, does extremely well, which you know that's another reason why you should really support the releases of Astra Lost in Space, because if that does really well, we might get more Shinohara manga, especially Sket Dance. Yeah, really just support whatever you can of Shinohara's works. I'm I'm kind of surprised that any of his works have been licensed in English at all, honestly. But uh, thank you, Allison, for sending that email. And uh, I think we're going to move on to Twitter here. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at manga underscore mavericks. And our first response comes from Doctor at SSAA Podcast, uh, who says, Obligatory Diet Gintama response here, which, thank you, Doctor, for that very insightful commentary on the on Sket Dance as a series as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a, another comment here from Joel Dreyer, who says, Sket Dance has some amazingly emotional, cathartic moments. Switch's entire character arc is just great. It's also got some running gags that can be very funny. I love Dante. Don't add me. Dante is a character we did not talk about at all. Uh, No, we didn't. He's basically this guy who talks in this visual K speak. At least his his image is that of like a visual K group. And he talks in a bunch of like uh, jargony catchphrases. So there's a bunch of trouble trying to understand what he's really saying because he keeps talking so weirdly. Not one of my favorite characters, admittedly, but he can be funny. Yeah, his his chapters could be fun, so... Uh, Joel also writes, Other jokes that last the entire manga are terrible. He always skips Roma chapters. I d- completely disagree with that. Yeah, Roman is, yeah, Roman's one of my favorite characters. Sorry, Joel. Uh, but he <laughs> concludes by saying, I will say Sket Dance has some pretty excellent highs and a lot of middle ground that I don't think about until I'm actually rereading and start thinking, how many chapters were actually funny again? Hmm. I mean, that might be a little harsh, but I also, again, this just goes back to what we were talking about, Sket Dance's comedy. It's not, not every chapter is going to be a gut-busting roller coaster ride, you know. Some, some, some chapters I don't necessarily think are always funny, but like, um, like, I guess for instance, um, the, the one where they find the time traveling electric fan, while it's kind of weird and kind of amusing, I didn't think was like, it's not necessarily one of my favorites. Mm hmm. Um, I can't think of one that I, like, really didn't think was funny, though. Mostly because I probably just forgot it. But, oh, uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with Joel a little bit, at, at the very least. Yeah, every long-running comedy will have those couple of chapters or episodes where you don't really think about a whole lot until you're rewatching it. You tend to only remember, like, the most important and most memorable stuff. But I think... What you're saying there, Droll, about Sket Dance having excellent highs, like, is very important. Because Sket Dance's highs are so good that they they define the series. And they're, and they're, they're so worth it, too. Yeah. 
So even if you have to enjoy like a random chapter that doesn't seem to have much to do with the overarching character development stuff, like it's still worth reading them because oftentimes they are funny and just the entire journey of reading Sket Dance, by the end you love all the characters because you spent so much time getting to know them. But um, I, th- I think that's about it for our comments, right? Did we get anything on Animation Revelation at all? No, we did not. All right, just making sure. Um, thank you, everybody, for uh, sending in your comments. And uh, yeah, remember, if you uh, ever send us an email over at mangamavericks at gmail.com or leave us a tweet at manga underscore mavericks, we will definitely read them on the show. Mm-hmm. We love getting your emails, guys, so please send them to us. Um, but I think that's going to be about it for the show. We, I think we had a pretty good discussion of Sket Dance, finally. Yeah, I'm glad we were finally able to do this discussion. We put this off for quite a few months, and I'm sad that we weren't able to do this back in September when I had finished reading it, like, just right then. Because then I then there would be a lot more that we could have talked about that would have been fresher in my mind. But still already, just a few months removed, there's just so much that came back to me while discussing and then So much I have been thinking about that I was really happy to finally be able to talk about. I really, really enjoyed reading Sket Dance. This is definitely one of my favorite manga that I've gotten the chance to read on the show. I definitely think I could include it among my favorite manga because of just how incredible the character writing is and how much I connected with those characters and how much I connected with the themes that Shinohara was exploring. It's really, really great. Yeah, so uh, look forward to our next episode where we talk about uh, Kenta Shinohara's uh, just recently finished work that you can read for mostly for free legally on viz.com, Astra Lost in Space. That's right. And if you want to get caught up on that before you listen to that podcast, you can do that because it's a pretty short series as well. So definitely head over to viz.com and go to the Shonen Jump free section to read up on Astro Loss of Space. It's an incredible series that deserves more attention, and I can't wait to talk about it next week. I am really, really excited about Kenta Shinohara's stuff, and I'm glad we're doing these two episodes back-to-back to talk about both of his major series. Yeah, I, I can't wait to finish it because I still haven't finished it yet. <laughs> so I'm going to look forward to your fresh thoughts on that when we do it next episode. Yes, yes. So hopefully we can maybe we can maybe get a guest on that. I, I would like it. I would like us to because we we know one or two people who really are very into Astra, I would say. And I'd like to get at least one of them on maybe if we could help it. Yes, hopefully. But I guess until then, um, I guess, Sid, where can the good people find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at LumRamayasha and basically anywhere under the username LumRamayasha. On Twitter, I'm currently doing read-strews of Yurusei Yatsura, one tweet per chapter daily read of that. There's 366 chapters of Yurusei Yatsura, so that's a year-long project, and I'm having a lot of fun revisiting the manga in honor of its 40th anniversary this year. I'm also concurrently doing a rewatch on the anime. I have a Twitter for that on uh, Twitter, and yeah, I'm also participating in the Gintama group thing. And I hope to write more stuff for uh, allcomic.com, more reviews and such, but as I explained in my... Uh, in the Black Clover anime podcast and the introduction for that. I am extremely busy right now with school stuff. So a lot of the side projects that I was doing, like the Manga Mavericks Act movies and all the side podcasts, they're probably going to be on a hiatus for 
a couple of months until I can clear up all of this school stuff and get it out of the way. So, But you can get updates for whatever I'm doing by just following me on Twitter at Lumramiyasha. Well, there you go. Um, and if you, I guess if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I'm uh, currently reading through Astro Lost in Space uh, just in time for us to record about it in the next week or so. Um, I'm, I'm reading a bunch of other stuff, but I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm uh, Every once in a while, I try to read a volume of Yu Yu Hakusho. I try to get through some Food Wars. Uh, at some point, I'm going to start Princess Jellyfish, like I said in our last episode. Um, Good. I read a little... I read a little bit of Golden Kamui, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I just, I broke. I had, I had to read it. I know Casey would have wanted me to anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, those are just some of the stuff I'm reading. You can follow all my thoughts on those particular series and any other thing, any anything else I'm reading over at uh, again Cyber King three two three. I also run Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast. Um, slowly but surely, trying to get through my backlog of episodes that I still haven't edited yet. But uh, I just I just posted an update about the podcast as a whole on the podcast feed. So go check that out again to lifelessons.wordpress.com. You can also check out One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com, where me and my good friend, Doctor, otherwise known as SSA Podcast, uh, talk about uh, Detective Conan slash Case Close. We go through the series from the very beginning, and hopefully we can get started on that again pretty soon, too. I miss recording that show. Uh, so, so something I want to mention real quick, but I don't think I'm going to mention too often because I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I want to be a little humble about this, but I just thought it'd be worth mentioning. Uh, me and Sid both have accounts over at Kofi.com now. So, uh, you know, Kofi, if you don't know, is basically just a, just a website for different content creators where, you know, if, if you like somebody's work and they have an account, you can, you can, you can drop a, drop, drop a little, drop a little change in our jar. You know, it's like a, it's like, it's like tipping us for all the stuff that you like it that we do. Um, uh, what, what is it? I think it's like $3 minimum or something, maybe less than that. Yeah. Uh, that you can drop in, you know, just send, send on over to our account if you really like our work. But uh, yeah, I think, let's see, mine is at ko-fi.com slash Colton. And mine's ko-fi.com slash Ramayasha. So again, if you, if you like our work and you think, oh, maybe I should give these guys a couple of bucks, then you have the option to do so. And that exists. So there you go. And I guess uh, moving on to other podcast stuff, you can find more of Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com. And you can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow the podcast uh, Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks. Again, leave us a tweet there and we'll leave, uh, we'll read it on the show. Uh, and like we said earlier, you can email us anything. About uh, what, what? What do you what do you think about Sket Dance? What do you think about uh, Kentashinahara's works? Uh, what do you think about Astro Lost in Space? Uh, you could send us an email f- about uh, about that in particular, so we can read that on the show uh, to Manga Mavericks at gmail dot com. Uh, you can also follow us on Manga Mavericks dot dot com, and also follow us on YouTube at uh, at Manga Mavericks. I forget. Yeah, the, YouTube yeah. slash C slash Manga Mavericks. Yep, we have we actually have a link for that this time, and it's all thanks to you guys. Yeah, that so. custom URL thanks to you guys. We got those 100 subscribers. Let's aim for a thousand. Yes, hopefully we could get to that by the end of the year. Oh, also we should. Uh, I guess we should mention our survey too. 
Yes, please take our year-end survey, fill that out. It's just got a couple questions about our podcast and what you liked the most about it last year. Filling out that uh, survey is really helpful for us to like let us know like who our audience is, what they enjoy most about our podcast, to help us kind of refine the show and keep making better and better podcasts going forward. So we really appreciate if you could fill out that survey. We have it going up throughout this entire month for you to fill out, and the link is in the description of wherever you're listening to this. So please look down there and uh, head over and fill out those questions. Alright, go ahead and do that. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever Apple's calling that thing. Uh, leave us a review and a, and a rating if you, if you so choose to. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 41. And we'll see you guys next time for episode 42. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Give me a